Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Armchair Cricket podcast. This is a podcast focusing on test cricket by armchair critics of the game. We are recording this episode on Easter Sunday the same day on which extremely devastating events have transpired in Sri Lanka, uh, leading to loss of a lot of human lives. So our thoughts and prayers are with everyone who has been affected by these events. Moving on, um, we would like to thank all our listeners uh, for their support. Please do continue to listen to us and uh, spread the word about our podcast to your cricket-loving friends. If you haven't done so already, um, please subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you're listening to us on, uh, be it Podbean, Apple Podcast, Spotify, Castbox, or anything like this. You can find us uh, by searching for Armchair Cricket Podcast on any of these platforms. Do not forget to leave us a rating, uh, preferably a five-star rating uh, on these platforms and uh, leave your feedback. You can reach out to us by email. Our email address is armchair.cricket at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at armchaircrickpod. You can also find us on Facebook. Um, all these links are in the description box uh, below. Now, continuing with our focus on World Cup team selection, um, we have a feature today on the Australian cricket team. The squad was already announced, um, but we will be joined today by Tasneem Samar Khan of Guerrilla Cricket fame, um, who will do a, a review of this uh, along with us. Having said that, uh, it is now time for me to welcome my co-host Ajit. Hello Ajit, how are you doing? Hi Gary, good evening. I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm fine as well. A little bit disturbed by what has happened um, in Sri Lanka, but um, yeah, we, but we have also other things on cricket, you know, cricket to uh, kind of to give us a bit of a distraction. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, well. Okay. Basically, I mean, I was away on a holiday and I did not realize what was going on when mm-hmm. when I got back to the real world, so to say, and saw the papers. It was it was very very, very uh, disturbing for me. And I hope uh, there is a bit of, you know, peace and quiet for the people who are suffering from the tragedy and who have lost uh, loved ones or friends. Mm. Right. Yeah. Now then, uh, moving on with the show, uh, the trivia question from last week was that uh, which player born in Egypt has represented two teams in tests 22 years and 222 days apart? Right. So this 22 years and 222 days is sort of an iconic number in cricketing world because there's only one player who suits this or who would fit this question. The answer is John Dracos, an Ospinner who initially represented South Africa in 1970 before their isolation from world cricket. And then he returned to test cricket by representing Zimbabwe in 1992 when Zimbabwe got their first test cap against India. So John Dracos. Uh, who was actually born in Egypt and uh, who has had a very interesting life and who is now settled in Australia. So he um, has, as I said, represented two teams, South Africa and Zimbabwe, 
22 years and 222 days apart i recognize this is not an easy question probably nakul already hinted that uh, you know the answer is very interesting uh, we did not really receive any uh, correct answers to this question but you know uh, once in a while there can be such slightly tricky questions i hope our listeners are able to you know also make a guess in the upcoming weeks and so on mm-hmm. all right now moving on i think the next section for us is the ipl highlights section So in the IPL highlight section, um, well, the first news is sort of a small news that uh, we were all sort of expecting it. It's unfortunate. Uh, Alzari Joseph, who's had a very impactful IPL mm. and a very eventful IPL so far. Uh, well, he has been uh, ruled out of the IPL because uh, he dislocated, uh, you know, his right arm that he was trying to, while fielding, he dove on the field and he has dislocated his right arm. That basically mm. means, you know, he's out of the rest of this IPL for Mumbai. But will yeah. he be uh, back for West Indies um, for the World Cup? Well, yes. Yeah, so, we hope, so we hope that you know he has enough time to make a successful recovery, and mm-hmm. uh, he will you know re- be able to represent uh, uh, West Indies in the World Cup. I think they will really like his. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, if chosen, they don't uh, they don't have a squad announced yet. But we've mm-hmm. sort of chosen ours, and <laughs> he was a part of it. Yeah, of course, of course. But you know, you remember one more guy with a similar injury while fielding at the boundary, mm-hmm. Jai Richardson. Yeah. He's expected to make a comeback, so I hope uh, Alzari Joseph will also make a comeback Indeed. because he's a promising talent. And uh, we we saw what he did in, in his uh, first match for uh, Mumbai Indians with that six for twelve, unforgettable uh, bowling figures. It, so yeah, it has been sort of a trying year for him. You know, uh, yeah. this year a young man lost his mother. during the test match and so on and so on so we really hope some of this hard uh, stuff is behind him and he's able to make a successful recovery and represent west indies in the world cup mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. right all right now the next piece of news that we would like to quickly get a get on discussing is uh, well rcb they played a match today against chennai and uh, they seem to have won their first match a thriller by one run and mm-hmm. this is their first win against chennai in five seasons kiri yeah You so they they're giving yeah a little bit um, they are giving us hopes now right <laughs> well, <laughs> well, hopes for the next season you mean oh, yeah yeah of course yeah but but then again um, we we have we had actually got uh, used to them losing you know <laughs> continuously now they have started winning mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. we have to keep our expectations in check when they when of they course. go out to play next time again Always. you know with uh, with a pinch of salt um mm-hmm. but yeah it was an amazing match i happened to catch the last the latter part of the match mm-hmm. especially with uh, dhoni uh, who was trying to finish the game for csk he played an unbelievable innings um, of you know examine very well paced calculated risks you know like we we know what he's capable of he has done it innumerable uh, uh, times and uh, this was also almost an occasion where he pulled it off uh it was a bit of an anti climax i have to say towards the end did did you saw the whole match though i more or less followed the whole match i mean i think i saw it from after the power play of bangalore's batting mm. so uh, well i mean look um, first of all the chennai bowlers deserve a bit of credit for keeping bangalore down deepak chahar who probably by the end of this story would be a bit of a pantomime villain uh, actually was really good with the ball and so were jadeja and bravo I thought in Tahir as well. So they kept Bangalore to 161 on a pitch that you know Bangalore pitch. We know how it is. But this might not have been a typical Bangalore pitch. So if I were to just take you quickly through the scorecard, Parthiv Patel opened the innings with Kohli and he made a very impactful 53 and kept the 
Bangalore and Knicks together well until the 15th over, I think. After that, he was supported by A.B.D. Villiers, who made 25, Akshdeep Nath, who made 24, Stoinis, who made 14, Moin Ali, who made another very good 26, impactful 26 runs. And so they took Bangalore to 161. This this appeared subpar at the break. And uh, Dhoni said it, said it as much. But apparently, this was like a spongy bounce pitch. This was a slower than normal Bangalore pitch, or slower than usual. And the uh, fast bowling made a very big impact. Stein, who was who's been brought back into the team by RCB. Uh, he uh, took two wickets in his very first over, the first over of Chennai's chase, and he left them six for two, and he was on a hat-trick. He couldn't get a hat-trick, but, I mean, I think we'll we'll park his uh, wickets till the end because I think we can go into it in a bit more detail, right? So, mm-hmm. Saini did a fantastic job as well, four overs, 24 for one, even though he went for a few runs in his last over. Dhoni took him for a few runs with a six and everything. And then, of course, Umesh Yadav, the villain, real villain in this piece, who somehow managed to give 25 runs away, uh, trying to defend 26, or let's say 24 runs away, trying to defend 26 of the last over. Mm-hmm. Uh, but overall, I think uh, Negi bowled an over, Stoinis three, and Chahal was fantastic. Again, four hours, 24 runs, and only one wicket. So uh, this is all very normal when it comes to Bangalore, sort of, that the fast bowlers go for a pl- plenty of runs and the spinners do well. Again, one of the things missing from the chase was that Negi bowled one over and Chahal bowled four. But again, uh, having reduced Chennai to four for 28, when Raidu and uh, Dhoni were rebuilding, I think Kohli could have used a couple more overs of spin, maybe in the form of either one or two more overs from Negi or one or two more overs from Moin Ali. Right? Yeah. Because there were two right-handers bowling, uh, batting, he was sort of hesitant to bring Moin Ali in. But that's very sort of restrictive thinking for me because Moin Ali is still a very interna- experienced international bowler and mm-hmm. he's represented England very successfully in tests as well as T20s all the way. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. So it was a bit short-sighted in my opinion. If he could have squeezed a couple of overs there, mm-hmm. that would have given him the bandwidth to either use Saini or Dale Stein in the last over. And maybe that, the, I would have said, I would have said maybe uh, the result would have gone in a much more comfortable manner as far as RCB were concerned. But well, uh, just to finish off what happened, requiring 26 of the last over, Dhoni brought it to two of one ball uh, mm-hmm. by scoring a six. Uh, I think he went for six, four, two, six, six, something like this. A sequence of some unbelievable. No, I think I, I got that wrong because I've already four, counted. Four, six, 26. six, two, six. All right. That is yeah, a sequence. Three, six, six, and a four, yeah. Three sixes and a four. And uh, that brought, well, Chennai uh, requiring two runs of the last ball. And the last ball was a slowish ball from Umesh Adha outside Austin. And Dhoni missed that, strangely. And Parthiv Patel, who had his glove off already, took took the ball and hit the stumps down. And Deepak Chahra, who may have been amiss in trying to back up a little, you know, maybe <laughs> the fear of a monkard or some such, he was short of the crease by literally four inches, giving Bangalore the win by one run. Right? All right. Anything yeah, to add? Yeah, it was almost Dhoni-esque uh, from Parthiv Patel, expecting that you know they would go off for a run uh, and having his you know right hand glove taken off. Mm-hmm. It was a very accurate throw from him, you know, uh, getting the batman out by just four inches, like you said. Right. Um, so good match awareness from him. Also uh, backing up his uh, batting at the beginning of the match with his 50. So well done to Parthiv Patel. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I, you know, I have to mention is the way Dhoni batted all through the innings. I think he paced his innings uh, wonderfully well. Um, and uh, mm-hmm. in fact, when he was batting with uh, this guy, uh, Dwayne Bravo, and Dwayne Bravo is not really a tailender. Do you remember? He refused to run singles. I think yeah, he refused yeah, three yeah. singles. 
uh, when he was batting with <laughs> 19th over it was a bit weird yeah yeah and i mean i think when he was asked the same question as to why uh, he refused those singles uh, at the end of the match by uh, ian bishop dhoni said something like it was going to take uh, more time for the uh, the new batsman who had just walked in so it was dwayne bravo who wa- who had walked in uh, it would take more time for him to get used to the pace of the wicket and it was difficult for him to hit boundaries so he had to make the most of um, the time that he spent Mm-hmm. Uh, before uh, Dwayne Bravo walked in, so he had completely backed himself. I think he has so much confidence in his ability. Uh-huh. So, uh, I think that's how Dhoni is, right? I mean, he's he's been like that for eternity. And <laughs> in the final over, you know, Umesh Yadav had to defend 26 runs, mm-hmm. and I I kind of thought, you know, it should not be a problem, right? It should it should be possible. And we had a similar situation in the previous match against. Uh, Uh, Kolkata Kolkata Knight Riders uh, with Dreras mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um Dreras I think had about 24 runs uh, to um, chase down and in uh-huh. and uh, in the end uh, RCB managed to pull it off they won by 10 runs and Mohin Ali bowled the last over mm-hmm. uh, and he did not bowl in this match and so yeah. 26 runs would have been uh, much easier I would have thought only to see that uh, Umesh Yadav you know bowled some uh, rank length balls and Dhoni was waiting he was waiting on his back foot um he hit a boundary of the first ball of that uh, 20th over and then a six and then he hit another six i think this was one of the sweetest shots mm-hmm. uh, of this tournament i think the previous um longest six was by chris gale in this tournament uh, in this edition of uh, ipl okay um, it was 101 meters uh, and can you hazard a guess how long this uh, six from dhoni was well i mean it, well I... it was out of the stadium you can say it was out of wow. the stadium wow in bangalore wow yeah in okay. bangalore <laughs> um so any ideas on uh, the number of meters well i mean you've told me offline so i think <laughs> you should tell it. yeah it's 111 meters so it was an elson 6 um and this actually uh, brings back old memories of dhoni when he was playing that match against australia and uh, in, in that odi match against australia in adelaide where he also you know eventually chased down an australian total mm-hmm. he was batting against um, clint mckay you remember that guy fast medium yeah, bowler yeah 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 and this was at the adelaide oval which has probably the longest boundary in the world you know longest straight boundaries in the world and uh, yeah. dhoni you know hit a six of a length ball it was pure timing pure you know everything coming together it was mm-hmm. like a, a symphony mm-hmm. the power the timing and the bat swing everything was amazing and then this ball went to the longest part of the ground and michael slater said it on air that this was probably the longest six he had ever seen at the adelaide oval and that was the longest boundary as well right so and that was 112 meters mm. <laughs> so this one was 1 meter short so dhoni is how old is he now 37 years yeah. but he still he still has the ability to hit the ball a long way and especially if he's there till the end he backs himself to mm. win against the bowler it's a one on one on one battle for him towards right. the end right so he takes on the bowler uh, and uh, and i felt a bit sad towards the end because i thought the way he batted uh, mm-hmm. csk probably deserved to win this um, although you know as an rcb supporter um, even during the toughest of times uh, i have to say i wanted rcb to win but um, yeah it would have been yeah. um, i think a poetic justice would have been served if mm-hmm. uh, dhoni had won this uh, but rather unfortunate but it was a good match um, so please to see rcb win one more yeah, csk still yeah. uh, remain top of the table uh, with uh, 14 points from their 10 matches followed by mumbai indians mm-hmm. uh, with 12 points right 
um, and uh, surprisingly Delhi Capitals uh, have been you know showing very good form so uh -huh. they have been winning matches on the trot. They even won their previous match against uh, Kings Eleven. They ch chased down 160 odd runs with Shreya Sayer, the captain, uh, you know, uh, seeing them home. And mm -hmm. we talked about what happened um, last time around when um, um, Delhi Capitals played against Kings Eleven Punjab, and uh, you know Sam Curran had that hat trick, which basically took down their uh, lower middle order and finished the game for. Uh, yeah, uh, Kings Eleven. So this time, Shreyas Iyer made sure that didn't happen. So mm -hmm. it was good on his part to see, you know, that he's maturing, he's seeing them through. So I think they continue very good form. Um, and uh, after them, I think is Sunrisers Hyderabad, who won again today mm -hmm. uh, against Kings Eleven. Uh, Kings Eleven posted a, a subpar total at uh, Hyderabad. Right, and they were right. also a bit sloppy in the field, so Sunrisers chased it down with nine, with nine wickets. To, I think they they were just one down. Johnny right. Besto and uh, David Warner got them off to a flyer, a hundred plus run partnership. Um, their middle order, you know, their middle order looks, still looks a bit tired. <laughs> the top order is fantastic. These two guys, they are going to leave to be with their corresponding national team shortly. I wonder how mm. it's going to go for the mm -hmm. uh, you know uh, Sunrisers. Yeah. Another yeah. thing, well. When it comes to Delhi Capitals, I think, uh, you know, uh, they are maturing nicely as a team. And mm. they might very well be the dark horses going into the second half of the tournament of the, you know, last mm. one third of the tournament for me. Go on, Gary. Go. Yeah. No, no. I, I was just going through the table again. Um, so, Sunrises are followed by Ashwin's Kings Eleven Punjab, who have won some games where they were not expected to win, I think. Uh, especially the one they played last time round against Rajasthan Royals before the one uh -huh. they had today. Yes, uh, yes. I think you mentioned something about Ashwin's captaincy there, uh, bowling right bowlers at the right moment or bringing himself on at the right moment mm -hmm. to make sure Rajasthan, Rajasthan Royals were not able to, uh, you know, get the chase done. Of um, and of course, you you have Kolkata Knight Riders who now sit uh, sixth in the table, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. followed by Rajasthan Royals and Bangalore Rajasthan uh, Royal Challengers Bangalore even. Of course. Both of them tied at uh, six points, having won three matches. So not so bad for uh, Virat Kohli. Talking yeah. about uh, Kolkata Knight Riders, we uh -huh. all you know remember power hitting from Dre Russ. Uh, right, right, right. And right. Uh, I think we saw one tweet by a guy. I don't remember this guy. I cannot pay him tribute because I don't remember his name. Sorry about that. Um, so he mentioned, I think there was a tweet like this. There is Dre Russ School of Batting and uh -huh. there is Mahindra Singh Dhoni University of Batting. Just yeah. to draw a comparison right. between those two, you know, wonderful finishers of the game. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it's uh, it, it basically explains what Dhoni tried to do today and almost pulled it off and uh, what Dre Russ has been doing. Mm -hmm. In this tournament this year, right. yeah. So, so it's it's an interesting um, looking table. Uh, I didn't expect Delhi Capitals uh, at mm -hmm. number three. Um, so let's see how it goes. Like you said, they are probably the dark horses. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, yeah, let's see how it goes. Yeah, I think we I spoke too much about our, uh, IPL, but it, it was good to uh, go through the table because I think it gives us a good uh, impression of what's to expect, what to expect in the coming days. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's going to be, a, let's say, a very interesting end to the World Cup as far as we are concerned. Yeah. And uh, well, as far as RCB is concerned, they mm -hmm. might be able to still, you know, spring a surprise or two. But well, I would, I don't want to even go there, what it might really be when RCB, uh, what it would be when RCB no. finish the season. Right? <laughs> we'll probably visit know. it shortly. But uh, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, I mean, um, you can for sure uh, imagine, I think, uh, yeah, the Dreyras uh, heroics aside, I think uh, Kolkata find themselves on sixth. It's, it's, it's a bit tough for them. Uh, 
So somehow, I would say Mumbai Indians and Dhoni's uh, Chennai will take the top two spots. Delhi might be the surprise third team. The fourth team is going to be very interesting, very difficult to decide. Uh, all the teams have the choice there, I would say. And you know, uh, my pick for this um, slot would be the Sunrisers. But uh, we don't know how it will go. So let's see how the tournament will end, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. some interesting couple of matches coming up for all the teams. Yeah. You know, at least ba- Bangalore team might not really be able to win and cause much of an upset. They might still hold one or two people back, you know, as to yeah. uh, another small thing. I was looking up the name of the person who tweeted it. So the, over the wicket is the account on Twitter who has tweeted yeah, okay. specific tweet. So we would like to attribute it to him or her. Right. So that was a fantastic tweet. All right, then. Uh, I think those are most of the uh, IPL news for this week. To help us analyze Australia's squad and uh, Wayne with her cricketing knowledge, we have Tasneem Samar Khan of the Guerrilla Cricket fame joining us. Hello, Tasneem. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. No problem. Uh, it's, it's our pleasure, really, that you can join us. Would you like to say a couple of lines about yourself, maybe? Yeah, sure. So I work with Guerrilla Cricket. I do commentary. And as you probably know, I like to write a little bit about cricket as well. Um, I, weirdly enough, because I come from a legal background, I like some of the social issues involved in cricket. But more than that, I like a good World Cup, a good competitive World Cup. And I am not super excited about a 10-team World Cup, or I have not been up until relatively recently. But, you know, that excitement mm-hmm. is starting to kick in. I think it's maybe one of the most open World Cups we've had in a long time. There's a lot of strong teams. Um, mm-hmm. And there are teams that I think probably come up in everybody's semifinalists. But as we've seen time and time again in a tournament, anything can happen. Mm-hmm. Teams that have been, you know, doing well in bilateral series for the last six months, it puts them in great stead. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they'll walk away with a World Cup. And I think that... English conditions are fantastic to host a World Cup. I think there's a little bit of everything. You've got definitely something in it for the batsmen with the last couple of summers that we've had in England, but the ball moves around as well. And, you know, depending on what kind of weather we get, how the pitches are prepared, there's some turn to the um, uh, last 50 over tournament that we saw obviously was the Champions Trophy, which was also in England. And I think we got to see that. We got to see that the ball can win you tournaments even if you have scores of 350 regularly on the board that does not necessarily mean they'll get chased down bowlers can come in and change everything and i'm hoping it's going to be one of those again you know everyone's excited i think to see a flurry of fours and sixes but i think the big thing that's going to set teams apart and and between teams that do well and walk home with a cup is the bowling Mm mm-hmm well, I mean, we can clearly see there are quite a few 10.30 a.m. starts, especially yes. in places like Lords or Trent Bridge. Some, some swing and with two new balls, you know, this could still be a very big factor. Yes, so absolutely. Teams that are good with uh, seam and swing or have uh, some control over that would be probably start, starting as favorites. So uh, for us today, the team is Australia. So before we sort of discuss the squad, the Australian squad, of course, has already been announced. We know this. But before we go into that, maybe let me just take us through a quick, you know, historical background on how Australia have done over the World Cups. Right. So, of course, we know 
they are the most successful uh, cricketing team when it comes to world cups right so they have already won like uh, five times so 87 99 mm-hmm. 2003 2007 and 2015 the so yeah 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 they are the defending champions indeed and uh, you know um, they bring a they bring a very strong pedigree always in the world uh, championship matches or let's say world cup tournaments beat any format so to say and um, if you were to look at uh, their, you know, recent history, they were not very, very strong. The team was not very strong over the last two years. But suddenly, they seem to have perked up. Uh, comes a World Cup and again, the Australian team is very strong, right? So, historically speaking, when you look at the number of matches they've played, they've played 85 matches. They have won 62 of them and lost only 20. And the other three have been either tied or uh, there have been no results. So, when you look at it, they have they have a fantastic uh, win-loss percentage, which is 75% of win-loss percentage in World Cups, which is quite something. If you look at them uh, per World Cup or World Cup by World Cup, so to say, right? So, in the 1979 or 1975 World Cup, Ian Chappell was the captain and he had a 60% win-loss record. And then in the 1979 World Cup and in the 1983 World Cup, they had Kim Hughes captaining Australia. And he has probably the most dismal of, you know, uh, captaincy records because he had captained them for eight matches, but they could only win three of those eight. Outside of that, of course, David Hooks also could captain one match in the 83 World Cup because of uh, Kim Hughes being ill, but he had lost that match. So if outside of that, you have these big three, which is Ponting, Border and Waugh, Steve Waugh, right? So then Steve Waugh was the next guy. Uh, well, let's say Alan Border was the next guy because it was the 87 World Cup. So in the 87 and the 92 World Cup, it was Alan Border who led Australia in 16 matches at the World Cups and won 11 of them. And of course, he won the tournament in 87. Then in the 1996 World Cup, it was Mark Taylor, who again um, sort of lost in the final, but they did a fantastic job till that point because out of seven matches, he had won six, uh, five matches, right? And then, of course, uh, then came Waugh's turn, Steve Waugh. So 99 World Cup, he captained uh, them in 10 matches and won seven and lost two. And there was, Very of course, the famous tie. Yeah. 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 And of course, that final uh, against Pakistan, which we will visit shortly. And then you have, um, so Waugh was also a winner, of course, right? Then it, it we get over to the era of Ponting. So 2003 to 2011, this guy is, is a true, true giant when it comes to World Cups. So, yeah. uh, you know, 29 matches and a lot of wins, a very high percentage of win and so on and so on. So then you have, of course, uh, Michael Clark, who led Australia in 2015, and he was also a winner, right? 2015, they won. So out of seven matches that he led, he won six. So they ended up winning the tournament. So when you look at all these, they have such a such a strong pedigree at the World Cups. And if you look at the top batters for Australia, you have uh, the top five. Uh, would you like to take a guess who the top five are? I mean, there are not a lot of doubts who the number one would be. Yeah, Tasneem? No, tell me. It's Ponting. Ponting is the yeah. top batter, right? Out of 46 matches, uh, he's made a, 1,743 runs at an average of 45. And his highest score was 140 in the 2003 World Cup final, right? Then you have Gilchrist. Again, the same era. Uh, so he's played 31 matches and he averages 36 over 1,000 runs. You have Mark Mark Waugh, who's three. He's yep. played, again, three World Cups and then 22 matches, 1,000 runs, average of 52. You have Matthew Hayden, uh, yep. two World Cups, 22 matches, and an average of 52. And then Steve Waugh rounds out the top yep. five. And he has played, oh God, four World Cups. And 33 matches, and average of 48, and just under a thousand runs, right? Uh, 
so um, with this sort of a pedigree, you can clearly see that their batsmen lead from the front always for Australia. But that doesn't mean anything because the most successful bowler across all World Cups is Glenn McGrath, who leads the, you know, the list of bowlers for Australia. Would you like to take a stab at the others, maybe? Uh, where is Mitchell Stark in there? Mitchell Stark is his 12th. Is 12th. Oh, interesting. So there's a lot more historical players than there are current yes. players. So I would guess Brett Lee's pretty up there. He's um, number two. Perfect. Perfect. I would guess maybe Sean Tate is 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 up there as well. Good God. You have the list um, in front of you. You're doing really no. well. Right. And then Warren, maybe? Yes. Yes, yes. So that, that's 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 your sixth guy. So interestingly, Ara, Warren is fifth. So you can so see who I missed out. That's the that's the let's say the red herring there. It's uh, Brad Hogg. He's, oh, he's number three. Hockey. Good for him. Yes. yes. So this is the these are the top five. So again, but what you can see, there are two spinners in the top five. Also something yeah. interesting, right? Hog and one. So one you would expect always he missed one or two World Cups because of some bad, let's say, habits. But uh, <laughs> outside of that, you know, again, Sean Tate, he played two World Cups. We don't remember much of Sean Tate, but he has 34 wickets in just 18 matches yeah. in the World Cups. So yeah. the wild thing. So to say, in air quotes, and of course you can expect McGrath to lead this list and Brett Lee to be second or third there. So it's a it's a very formidable bowling uh, record that they also boast of in the World Cups, which which always says you know when we look when we look at their World Cup victories. So for example, the very first World Cup that they were able to win was in '87. Um, they were uh, runners up in '75, uh, if I'm not wrong. But then '87 was the one they won where you know it was again they were uh, defending a total. They put on 253 on the board. In the 50 overs that they had uh, been allotted to bat, um, they had David Boone who made 75. And, um, uh, you know, Michael Valletta, who came in uh, near the end of the innings, made a very reasonably modern, so to say, innings of, you know, 45 out of just 31 balls. And this got them to 253. And this proved to be seven runs too many for England. Because uh, even though they had a lot of steady uh, contributions from the top order, they were, they were not scoring very quickly. That meant the lower order yeah. was under pressure and they couldn't win, right? When we look at the 80, uh, sorry, when we come to the 96 World Cup, where they were runners up again, of course, but this again was very good. Nobody would have predicted that Australia would have lost to Sri Lanka. Sri Lanka were red hot, but Australia were sort of the informed team going into the tournament. So, and batting first in the World Cup final, they put on 241 which was a little less, but still, you know, score on the board, etc., etc., and they had a very reasonably good batting lineup. So here, Mark Taylor top scored with 74 in the final as a skipper. Uh, but, you know, Sri Lanka team being what they were, uh, they really chased it down with Arvinda playing a really special innings that day. I think you probably remember it very well. I don't know if... Would, did you get a chance to see this one, maybe? The 96 World Cup? I did. Uh, I was young, mm-hmm. but yeah, no, no, I did. All right. So then we move on to the 99 World Cup. Uh, so in this one, uh, they were playing Pakistan and uh, they uh, bowled first and Pakistan were restricted to 132 with no yeah. major contributions. So it was a master class in swing bowling, I think, because McGrath, Fleming, Paul Rifle and Tom Bodie. They had four uh, fast medium bowlers and you had, of course, Vaughn there who also took a 4-4 in the final, right? Yeah. So he was the man of the match in the final. But uh, with 132 on the board, there was not a lot uh, left. And, of course, they easily chased it down in just 20 overs. So that was a you know, a very one-sided final. And then we get to the uh, 
2003 World Cup final in South Africa where they were playing India and more or less the same thing happened but the other way around so they batted first they put a, put on a very formidable 359 i mean in this world cup final 359 can be a match winning score right and if you can imagine in 2003 where it was still a slightly different era they got to 359 which was almost unbeatable i think in a world cup final uh, indian fast bowlers were normally having a unreasonably good world cup until that point yeah. in time they were to type unfortunately and <laughs> they were belted all over and of course nothing to say though um Ricky Ponting really, really played a masterclass. So uh, yeah. 140, not out of 121 balls. And he was really well supported from Damien Martin, 88, not out of 84 balls. I remember seeing this live. And I remember that, you know, uh, sometime in the 20th, around 20th or 22nd over, there was a chance they were two for 125. That was the only chance India ever had in that match. Once that sort of that Rubicon was crossed, Australia never looked back. And India did not have too much of a chance. They were 234 all out. Even though Virendra Sehwag tried his best with an 82. And yeah. Rahul Dravid made a 47 and so on. But yeah, they won that final comfortably. Then we we come to the, you know, um, 2007 World Cup final. Again, this is the same masterclass, the same uh, school of, or the same batch of players who were involved in the 2003 to 2011 you know, World Cup. And uh, Gilchrist was still opening. He had a very miserable tournament, I remember, in the Caribbean this was. And uh, I think in the final, if you remember, there is this, um, there is a little bit of a trivia here. I don't know. Did you, uh, did you, uh, do you remember reading any interesting articles around how Gilchrist uh, prepared or did something special for the World Cup final that, you know, he hit a 149 in the final? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Highest World Cup. Yeah. At the time. Indeed. What do you remember what he did? He did something special that day to change his. No. No. He cut a squash ball in half. And stuffed it into one of his gloves. So that he gets this hard, you know, feel when he's gripping the bat. Yep. And that somehow changed his mindset or whatever. And he hit this 149 out of just 104 balls. And again, they flattened uh, Sri Lanka completely because this was a reduced yeah. game. They just got 38 overs. You're saying, sorry? I said Duckworth Lewis came in. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was a, that was a farce, wasn't it, in the end? Yeah, um, yeah. But, I mean, Sri Lanka were losing anyway, and it became a bit of a farce towards the end with light and Duckworth Lewis and no light. And suddenly yeah. the deciding the match was finished. It, it, it was all not clear if you were watching it, for example, yeah. especially on TV. Yeah. Or a TV frustrating was... World Cup final to have. Pretty much. But the result was not debatable, I think. I think no. The have gone exactly. You know, one other thing I remember, they showed Vas, you know, Chaminda Vas's uh, pitch map at the end of the match. You know, in this post-match, uh, whatever, review sort of a uh, TV show. I saw that his pitch map was perfect. Just that that day something had changed in Gilchrist's mind. He was bowling a perfect line and length, except Gilchrist was hitting them all over. So it wow. was one of those mind over matter sort of a days for Gilchrist, I suppose. Because you yourself are a keeper who's a hard-hitting batsman. Uh, do you have uh, any role models? Well, you've just named him, haven't you? All right. <laughs> it's Gilly. Of course it's Gilly. I, oh. I don't think, I, I mean, maybe for different generations that might change because there are a lot of talented keepers out there. But I I would wager that that would stay Gilly for keepers that are growing up today, maybe even 10, 20 years from now. I don't think we've ever seen anything like him. And as amazing as the talent that we have in the keeping station is, as a wicketkeeper batsman, he is the guy that everybody would want to be like, Would everybody would want to emulate. 
And he was, I mean, as a batsman, he was something a lot more special than most of us could ever hope to be. But the answer is, of course, Gilly. And, you know, you said it was a mind over matter thing. And I think that that's incredibly emblematic of how Australia approach World Cups, but yeah. finals. If they're in the final, mm-hmm. it is incredibly, incredibly rare to want to bet against them. Well, you know, you have a good point, but uh, I think in the first ever final, I think they lost. But that was also a one-off because the, it was against that rampant West Indian team. But yeah, you're probably right. In the last couple of decades, easily, it would be a bad idea to bet on Australia if they're in any final. Right? It's it's a mentality thing. And I think mm-hmm. that, uh, you know, um, we have obviously just seen a very uh, shaky 18 months for Cricket Australia. Mm-hmm. They've been through a lot. Um, And I don't think that many people would have said, watch them, watch them as they get close to the World Cup. But Mm. I did. I thought they were always going to be in it because, first of all, it's a mind over matter thing. And they have always had that mentality as a group or Mm -hmm. as a cricketing nation. And on top of that, what what more um, deserving a stage is there to show people that you are still a team, you are still a team that's there to compete, and you are a team that is hoping to put that type of ugly history right behind you, exactly where it's supposed to go, other than something like this. So I think that the circumstances that they're in today are Mm -hmm. going to be nothing more than a driving force for for their performance at the tournament. Indeed, indeed. I mean, you can see that there is suddenly an upswing. There were eight matches on the bounce. Yes. Right. And that India series just changed everything, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the way they they had lost the first two matches, we were thinking, well, uh, it might be that, you know, it'll be another 4-1 something thrashing. Suddenly something clicked. And then, of course, they also ran into uh, Pakistan, which was sort of experimenting. They sent a Pakistan A there, right? I um, I think there's a lot less to take away from the Pakistan series. It was... It felt like a practice series for Pakistan. To be honest, it felt a little bit pedestrian. It mm. felt that even though even though they were giving, you know, some second string players a chance and they were resting others, it felt like they were there to have a practice game and nothing more. Um, Australia never for a minute took it that way. Since they had their 2-0 down moment to India and they had their upswing there, that was the same energy they brought on the field against Pakistan. Even yeah. though when it was re- really, really clear that they didn't actually need to, you didn't, you know, you have to bring a lot of energy to, to come back to a 3-2 victory over yes. India in Indian conditions against this Indian ODI team. And that was okay. the exact same energy that they applied to the Pakistan. And um, I don't think most of us would. I think most of us would say, these are a bunch of kids. They don't even play together. Look at what we've just done in India. And you'd rest on your laurels. And they didn't yeah. do that. So I think that's exactly why you have to watch them. Um, they're going to do interesting, amazing things, you know. But before we get on to talking about why, I think you still have another couple of World Cups to tell me about. Yes, it's it's only the 2015 one, of course. So again, you know, this was um, it was a really formidable Australian team waiting for a New Zealand who were who had actually I think surprised themselves getting to the final, yes. having knocked out South Africa in the match before, right? So um, having come that far, uh, I think they had run out of steam. Uh, yes. I think I remember I remember that there was a sledge from Brad Haddon to Brendan McCullum, so who was sort of talismanic, right? And yeah. your favorite, Mitch Stark, got him in the first over. Yeah. And they could not somehow recover from that, New Zealanders. And, uh, yeah. you know, they were 183 all out. 
uh, Grant Elliott, who was carrying on from a good form in the semi-final, made 83. Uh, you know, Ross Taylor made 40. But they were really not able to pick up the run rate in any way. Yeah. And then that meant, you know, you have Mitchell Johnson who took 3 for 30. You had Mitchell Stark who took uh, 2 for 20. But the man of the match was uh, James Faulkner who got both these aforementioned players out. And he took 3 for 36. And then again, 183 in a World Cup final. Well, it's it's the exact same score that India defended against West Indies. But that was in a different era at a different time. Yeah. In Australia playing. players. Yeah, yeah. In Australia, playing in Australia at home, they wouldn't let that opportunity go, no. and they didn't. No. And uh, I think uh, Michael Clark uh, chose that moment to say goodbye by winning yeah. the trophy, right? That was also very poetic, also very just, I would say, from one day at least, if I remember. So that was all. That was all really good. So they again won the World Cup. So they are five-time winners. They are, let's say, the Brazil of the cricket World Cups, so to say. Definitely. And uh, yeah. So now, you know, you've already brought up a couple of all good points because uh, we were talking of their upsurge, their resurgence, right? And I, I was just looking at the last, you know, the last completed match that Australia played. This was the last ODI against Pakistan. So if you look at their 11 here, you have Uzi Khwaja and Finch opening. You have Sean Marsh at three, Glenn Maxwell at four, Stoinis, Hanscom, Carey, Berendorf and Kane Richardson, Nathan Lyon and Zampa. So this was already a very nice team, but from yeah. this team, you know, they, they 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 thrashed Pakistan final, but that was nothing. As you said, Pakistan were choosing to rest a couple of uh, five, I think, of their most successful, prominent, you know, decorated, yeah. whatever you want to say. Absolutely. Some some people grabbed the chance. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, but having done that, uh, they, you're right. You already mentioned that they were not looking to sit on their laurels. They were thorough. You know, even when they were 4-0 up, they did not experiment too much with that setup and they continued with the same mindset. They wanted a final, this ruthlessness. You already captured that, right? And they went ahead and they took final. And Uzi Khwaja, I think uh, in this series and in the way he finished the India series, made sure he was going to go to the World Cup as the yeah. f- first choice opener, right? Most Aaron runs was... this year, yeah. Oh, I see. Most runs this year. Mm. Oh, I see. And then Aaron Finch was looking for a bit of form, I think, finally found it in this series, right? And then Marsh, he's, he's sort of a better one-day player than he is a test player, though they like him to play tests over there, John Marsh. <laughs> they do. Uh, and, and then Glenn Maxwell, I think, who's been kept on the boil. I think this is Justin Langer's doing, I, I think, because this this ruthlessness is also very much his doing, one can say. His but MO. Yeah, isn't it? Modus operandi. But if, if you were to look at uh, Glenn Maxwell, I think he's been purposefully starved of uh, starved of game time and purposefully starved of uh, starved of getting uh, getting into the thick of things and he's now so hungry any team that will play against Australia will be wary as long as he's there. Right? Yeah. He's he's sort of blooming into the the player that he can be. So there, um, even in the series there were a couple of moments where even the second string Pakistanis didn't do too bad. You no, know they. Bad. Took a couple of wickets and then Maxwell became the thorn in their side. Every single match he'd mm. come in and maybe, you know, whether it's 70 off of 35 or or whatever, but he would come in and he would make them pay towards the back end. And that is the difference between, I think, in the, the, the final match of that series that you're talking about, Australia mm. makes three, 327, 328, something like that. Pakistan mm-hmm. uh, replied with just over 300. And that is exactly the difference. It is um, somebody coming in late in the order after there has been a consistent run 
mm-hmm. um, of, of, of runs, but maybe not at a particularly high strike rate. That's Khwaja's um, um, MO, isn't it? Good, yes. consistent batting, maybe mm-hmm. around that 90 strike rate mark. Mm-hmm. But, but what Glenn Maxwell does and does well is come in and give a significant impetus. If you're going to make 70 odd from 30 balls, you need a opposition who have somebody who can hit that big and that consistently to match it with. And that is not easy to do. There's maybe really only the England team, maybe the India side that you can think, well, mm-hmm. they might mm-hmm. just score an exceptionally quick 50, 60, 70 and take the match away from us. But but he did it. Glenn Maxwell did it consistently throughout the series. And oh. I have never understood why he has been as starved as he is. Um, but he's going to grab his chance. He's not going to let a World Cup go by where... I think so. Yeah. No, that's a good point. That's a very good point. And I can answer a bit of why he has been starved. So um, I think he had a head too big for his own shoulders, as they say. You know? They say that, yeah. Much, much like some of our uh, well-known culprits in the subcontinent, (laughs) right? There are a few. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh, this is one way of bringing them to heel, let's say. Right. Mm. So, um, for example, I don't think they did they did good with his test handling him for the tests. Right. Uh, At least over the winter, he could have played a couple of tests against India. I thought there was no point in asking him to concentrate on the first class setup in Australia and playing there and not really picking him at all. Yeah. For the tests or anything. He was not even in the 15. But I mean, that's a longer discussion. But I think they want him exactly where he is. Even in the series, I remember him asking to consistently bat at four. And uh, in a press conference after a man of the match performance and Justin Langer coming out in the next match prep uh, and saying, no, we'll have him bat where it's good for Australia, not yeah. where it's good for Glenn Maxwell. Yeah. You know, they're sort of cutting him to size right then and there all the time. And yeah. uh, well, that's that's a way they have chosen to you know deal with that. Um, and uh, we'll see. I think I think it will pay out in the end. So uh, that that's a really good point you brought up. And as you say, even if Finch and, you know, Uzi Khwaja and maybe even Sean Marsh, if he bats at three or something, if they take up, if they soak up a few balls, there's not a lot of, uh, you know, problems because you have either Glenn Maxwell and or, let's say, uh, Stoinis who comes after that. Then you would have, you know, Alex Carey, all of these people who are very good finishers. So, and of course, let's not forget that there's David Warner and Steven Smith thrown into the mix. Correct? Yes. This, this is this is a fantastic lineup. Let me just quickly uh, say all the players' names, then we can also get into a few more points. So right. you have Finch, Aaron Finch. You have Alex Carey, who's the keeper. Then you have Pat Cummins, who's the vice captain. And you have um, Jason Berendorf. You have Nathan Kunternail. Nathan Kunternail, sorry. You have uh, Usman Khwaja. You have uh, Nathan Lyon. Sean Marsh, Glenn Maxwell, Jay Richardson, Steve Smith, Mitchell Stark, Ma- Marcus Toynis. Dave Warner, of course, and Adam Zampa. So you can see this is a really well-balanced lineup. What are your first thoughts, Tasneem? Um, I struggle to understand what they are going to do with the, the the excess of riches that is Finch, Warner, and Quaja. It is hard to imagine that those one of those three is going to be left out. So I think they're going to do a little bit of shuffling with mm. the batting lineup. Mm-hmm. Um, Baja has he has the most number of runs in a calendar in this past calendar year, so I don't think he's getting left out. And like you mentioned, he was very instrumental in the India win, and even again with Pakistan, he was a big deal. Finch has mm-hmm. finally come into his own, and he is a very good captain. He mm-hmm. is 
somebody that that does well up top, especially when he finds his own confidence. I've seen the same thing um, when he plays in the county setup in England. He just needs to find his confidence and mm-hmm. then that stays with him. And then, you know, your your X factor there is David Warner. What he's doing at the IPL, he's mm-hmm. going to be very, very, very difficult. To, even though it's a different format, we know that there's cross-format consideration that goes on. He's going to be right. incredibly difficult to ignore. And the opening partnership of Warner and Finch can give you, and we, we saw with the previous World Cup as well, it was one right. of um, their strong points in 2015, that mm-hmm. impetus straight up at the top where you have Warner smashing runs and Finch relatively you know matching him as much as his strike rate um preference allows Mm -hmm. so i find it really interesting what they're going to do i think they're probably going to see khwaja shunted down to three um khwaja's average almost cuts in half uh, when he's batting at number three instead of opening i think he likes i think he likes the new ball and he likes to make himself comfortable you know, against the new ball and play it out. He likes batting for a hundred plus balls and, and I think mm. he does it very well. Right. But it's really hard to say no to Finch and Warner up top. And I do not think that um, uh, Cricket Australia would have made this announcement about David Warner and invested in, in reintroducing him into the fold if they mm-hmm. were not planning on using him. So right. I think it's going to be really interesting what they do what they do with that trio because of course in with the Pakistan series in the UAE Sean Marsh mm-hmm. was batting at number three. Right. That's not going to happen. Right. Not when mm-hmm. not when you have Finch, Warner, Khwaja, and Steve Smith. Um, I know Steve Smith is another interesting question because he has not come back from those elbow injuries in a way that cricket Australia would have hoped or wanted or, or Steve would have hoped or wanted either. Right. He has right. found it difficult to take runs or, or, or to, to amass runs at the IPL in, mm-hmm. in the way that we would expect Steve Smith of, of pre 18 months ago to, mm-hmm. to handle an IPL, but right. it's still Stephen Smith, you know, what team, mm-hmm. what self-respecting team says no to someone who is, whether you want to debate about, you know, Coley or Smith, that's that's a totally separate conversation. But the point is that that debate can legitimately be had. You know, Steve Smith's name is still legitimately up there for is this guy the best batsman in the world? Um, you know, it's a small list of people that you're debating over, but mm-hmm. arguments can very convincingly be made for all of them. And Steve Smith is 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 really, really, really up there. He's the only name that we have legitimately um, put up against Coley for the last couple of years. And there's probably a reason for that. And again, it's the type of stage where he he would come good, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. He would want to he would want to make some points. Also, he's not going to be captaining. And yeah. I think that's good for him. I think that's great for him. Um, I think Australia has suffered um, somewhat in the recent past by mm-hmm. making the mistake of making your best batsman your captain. Um, I am from the camp of Let's you, let your best batsman be your best batsman. If it right. just so happens that he's also a phenomenal captain and that drives him, that makes him Kane Williamson, for example. Um, right. I, I think it's wild to ever want to take away the captaincy from Kane Williamson. He's an mm-hmm. excellent captain. He's a strategic captain and it doesn't hinder his batting. I think exactly. Steve is a little bit restrained um, in terms of his own batting and captaincy mm. at the same time. So I think it's going to be really good for him. So I wonder what they do. I don't think we will see Sean Marsh at number three. Um, right. You know, they, they, they're they not playing Peter Hanscom. 
that probably makes room for Sean Marsh, but I think it will be a little bit lower down the order. Right. Well, for me, um, if as the first question was whether Warner and Smith uh, directly fit back in. So yes. Warner probably will. And if Smith also does, I don't really see room for Sean Marsh as well. You're probably yes. right. It'll be Finch and Warner up top, Khwaja at three. But if he gets his way, it'll be Finch and Khwaja up top and Warner at three. Warner can bat at three equally well, I think. He really doesn't. Uh, I agree with you. It's it's an interesting question of, and I, I, I think the only person that doesn't have a question mark there is Finch. Finch. Right. I would not slot him at three. I don't think he would want himself slotted at three. He is the guy that you can safely say will be opening. But Khwaja and Warner are both a little bit more um, more movable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. But then, you know, as you said, the sort of the middle to lower middle order of hitters is sort of very nicely set up. You have Maxwell Stoinis. So you'll need a banker at four and that could either be Marsh, but maybe it'll be Smith. You know, Stephen yeah. Smith. But then, as you say, that will mean um, Peter Hanscom has missed out. So there might still be a chance for a Sean Marsh in the level. Yeah. So you got that absolutely right, I think. Even I would think on the same lines. Uh, so that brings us to the keeper question. So they have only one keeper, Alex Carey, who's also been named as a, one of the vice captains of the team. Right. Yeah. So they see some leadership potential in this guy. Yeah. Right. That's good. But then this guy is good. So for me... He deserves his place because he's also a rapid hitter. He's a finisher. He can also be, he can either buttress uh, what Maxwell and Steinis do or he can hold one end up if required. I think he has the, let's say, the technique for both. But as a keeper, who's the backup in this 11 or in this 15? I don't see who would be the backup keeper in this 15. Is there a designated Uh, obvious here that I missed? I'm just looking and it doesn't look obvious. I think Warner keep? That well, he can. He's capable of it. Um, uh, but I think they're banking on Kerry. Um, yeah. I think they're they're you know thinking along the lines of so obviously you have until May twenty second you can keep the squad as it is. Mm-hmm. Post you know after May twenty third any changes that you make have to be cleared with the ICC. So if it involves an injury, mm-hmm. then that is something that you can you know think about doing legitimately. But otherwise, I think they're happy to bank on the fact that Kerry will be fine. Warner won't have to unexpectedly put on the gloves. But if a unexpected injury happens, they can make a last minute change and it won't be a problem. Well, I mean, who knows? Even Glenn Maxwell might be able to keep. We don't know what that guy's <laughs> capable of, right? But I mean, that's where I think, you know, there might be one of the oversights there in that squad. Like, for example, I thought Peter Hanscom was a bit unlucky to miss out. Yes. Right. That's one of the selection points that I wanted to bring up. Then when we go a bit lower into the bowlers, you have two spinners, Nathan Lyon and Adam Zampa. So Nathan Lyon did a very good job. He was reintroduced back into the ODI setup and over the series in India and Pakistan. I think he sort of proved his worth in the 11 as the holding spin bowler because yeah. Adam Zampa is a leg break bowler and he can go for a few runs. Right. And then, he can. Yeah. But then you always have Maxwell uh, who can... Uh, uh, sort of bring up what Stoinis does whenever one of the fast bowlers sort of builds, he can give you four or five hours. Maxwell can do the same with spin, right? Yeah. yeah. But then, um, you know, uh, we have a couple of bolters in the squad when it comes to the fast bowling because yes. I did not expect Berendorf to make it, right? I think. Did uh, you expect that Hazelwood would yes. be selected? Exactly. So I think Hazelwood's injury issues are maybe. Um, a little bit less transparent 
um, than we would like. I think he he did openly admit that he would only be coming toward full fitness mm. around the start mm. of the World Cup. Right. So right. I think that maybe either the CA don't um, don't agree with his his timeline or they don't want to bank on his timeline. And mm. I, I think the other thing there is they don't want to sacrifice having him for the ashes because of the World exactly. Cup, particularly when, look, they have a squad that, like you said, like we both said a few times, they've clicked. Something mm-hmm. has worked in the dressing room for most of these guys who have been playing together. Um, right. Obviously, you know, Stark's coming back as well from injury. So, and then you've got Smith and, and Warner slotting in. So you've had to make a couple of changes, but by mm-hmm. and large, this is not that dissimilar to the squad that were in the UAE against Pakistan. Exactly. Or the, the squad that were in India. And I think that when the dressing room clicks, when you've got a bunch of guys that are working together and understand their plans, then mm-hmm. you can afford to leave out a Hazelwood rather than bring him back from injury slightly prematurely and yeah. maybe risk the ashes, which nobody needs to do. Yeah, I think you're and absolutely I think right. is another one of those teams that that favors test glory over anything else. I don't, I don't think they're thinking of this as an either or. I yeah. think they just back themselves with Both. this 15 to also be incredibly competitive at the World Cup and, and they're probably not wrong in my in my estimation anyway. No, no, I think I think you have it right. You have it absolutely right because well, I mean Berendorf did really well with the chances he got. And yeah. he made sure he pushed somebody like Kane Williamson or somebody else, not Williamson but Kane Richardson. Sorry. Kane Richardson, Kane Richardson yeah. out of out of the reckoning. See, Jay Richardson is an out-and-out fast bowler. Yes. Right? And you have a Pat Cummins who can do both. He can be a holder or a holding sort of a role or an attacking sort of a role. So he's, we were discussing already previously on one of our episodes, he's like very much like Ryan Harris back back that sort of a role you know he can be an attacking bowler but he'll not give you a, give you give away any runs so that's like yeah, he blast. is a very much a, a like jack of all trades and he can bat too hitter. right he can bat and too. he could bat he could bat i think um he's probably going to be helping their lower order out with some runs as well i wouldn't i wouldn't put it past him this world cup exactly but then that leaves, you know, the last couple of spots. It'll be Jay Richardson or Berendorf. But with him, you can't leave Mitchell Stark. Probably one of your no. favorites, right? So he, he's, he's really, I mean, he's got to go. He's, he brings this X factor. He won them the World Cup final previously. So, and on his day, he'll simply route a team, right? Yeah. So even on a day where he's not really 100%, his 80% is probably much better than many fast bowlers is 100. So you would want him there, right? That's yeah. that. So I would say this this is a very balanced and a competitive uh, 15 that they've chosen and you've yeah, sort of, I have, yeah I have I think there are weaknesses as well um you know I think I think that a lot of that dressing room stuff that we were talking about is what their strengths consist of I I'm a huge fan of Stoinis I right. have believed in him I have believed in his selection for several years um, right, right. The UAE series was not that great for him. I think he, I think they believe in him and they backed him, which is great. That's the right thing to do with players, particularly off the back of one or two series. It's, it's, it's silly to drop someone that has been so um, consistent and so promising for so long, but he didn't do much with the bat and he kind of sort of failed with the ball as well. He, I think he mentioned it as well. He gave away a few too many runs, wasn't doing anything special. And although he's putting up his hand for death bowling, is mm-hmm. he a 
good enough death bowler. Um, well, England and and the UAE are incredibly different surfaces. The UAE right. offers you little to no assistance whatsoever. England mm-hmm. is not like that. But right. I right. am not entirely sure if Stoinis, who who he takes a couple of balls to get in as a batsman as well. He is not Glenn Maxwell who can walk mm-hmm. in and hit a six first ball. So right. I'm not entirely sure. Do Australia maybe have too many batsmen up the, the top and the um, upper low, lower order mm-hmm. who, who have a slightly slow strike rate? You know, I think that might be a question. Is Glenn Maxwell enough for impetus? Do they need a little bit more batting? No, they didn't pick Turner. They didn't don't have Hanscombe. So mm-hmm. I think it might be a little bit of pressure on Kerry. Um, right. And then, so my two main questions would be, do they have enough in the lower order? And what about their death bowling? Their strengths okay. are definitely in the top three. But right. I don't know if I believe in in the bottom batsman quite as mm. much, with the exception of Glenn Maxwell. Well, I mean, to answer one or two of your questions, look, mm. uh, for me, they have a, such a formidable top five. Really, in most of the matches, the top three should do the job or top five yeah. would do the job. We are really hoping they are never going to see 24-4. At least that's what the selectors bank on as well. Well, right? yeah. yeah. If they ever get to 24-4, they're in real trouble. You have a good yes. point there because their middle order can be a bit flaky. Right? Yeah. But then that's where uh, we are hoping Stoinis can play the long game and Maxwell can then be the bolter at the end if required and carry can sort of keep, keep carrying, sorry, uh, to use uh, the same term again. So he can yeah. sort of carry one end and yes you can sort of rebuild the innings so that's that's one thing probably they're hoping on but otherwise you know come the world cup they may actually have only four, four full fast bowlers because we know stoinis can give you a few hours maxwell can give yep. you a few hours and if required god forbid finch can give you a few hours right yes yeah, and right. he did it well in the uae actually yeah yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm joking when i say that but you know mm-hmm. um they're all there are enough fillers there that's what i meant right so yes. with that, they may actually go with only four full bowlers. Two of them could be spinners, for example, or two of them could be, or three of them could be fast bowlers. And then you can always add an additional, let's say, Sean Marsh into the eleven who can come in at six or five, you know. Yeah. And then you get this balance. This is one thing. The other thing, when it comes to death bowling, let's completely, uh, you know, I would say when Stark is thrown into the equation, that's a different ball game altogether, right? With the death. Yes. Yeah. But this is a always, guy that can nail Yorkers. There's always the question about um, when a player comes back from time away. Um, the expectations are always big, especially when I think he was even the top wicket taker in 2015. If not, he was really up there. He was really right. up there in right. 2015. So, yeah, you would bank on players like that. But I, I would be a little bit weary just of inserting three guys back in that mm. might need that the rest of the team might have to move around a little bit right and you know Berendorf has some death bowling credentials as well he was he consistently doing well at the IPL yeah exactly he's been doing well at the IPL and uh, also I think he did the finishers role for Australia in the UAE series right yes so yeah, he did. that means you know they have a little bit of let's say back up there. I might even think Stoinis might not be required at the death. You know, you might have one of Pat Cummins with either Berendorf or Stark, depending on how they feel, right? Who would probably finish it off. So I'm really hoping they have those bases covered. But then again, look, it's a long World Cup. They have a very long group stage. 
right? Yes. And mid-stark or somebody like this may get into it, may get into it himself slowly by the fourth match or something. He may be in the right oh, yeah. space. That There's time to... for you to play yourself in, to, to get used to your position and, and the new team that you've been slotted into. Exactly. So, I mean, all in all, I see them as very formidable. So, for me, they are in the top four teams, let's say, going into the World Cup as one of, I expect that they might make the semifinals. But if you were to take a look at match by match, would you like to uh, lead us into it, uh, Tasneem? So, uh, we could go through their group stage matches and maybe you can sort of give us a heads up on how many matches you think they might win. Shall we go through it match by match? Let's play a, a little bit of a guessing game. I'm up for it. Right. So the first match is uh, they are playing against um, Afghanistan. Uh, it's on the 1st of June and uh, it's being played on the Bristol County ground. Right. Yeah. So I would say for me, it's Afghanistan who might win. What do you say? Do you think so? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Okay. I'm to get <laughs> because, because it should be, you know, you might get a little bit of turn. So so England is really confusing as to what the pitches will do. Things have been changing in the last few years. The county matches that we're watching right now are not going the way that, that they have historically gone. There is a lot less movement that we have seen um, or that we've, we've been accustomed to seeing for, for most of our lives anyway. Um, and we're seeing, we saw a match the other day where there was a total of, of um, over 800 runs. And, wow. you know, like in early summer in England, you, yeah. you don't see that. You don't see that a lot. Um, you know, we've just had a, a really, really decent, like hot last couple of days. So it depends what's going to happen in the last month, in the next month leading up to it. But I expect if we get a little bit of heat um, a little bit earlier in the summer than we're accustomed to, then you're going to see some turners. And when you see turners, I think Afghanistan come into play. I do not think that Afghanistan and West Indies and and Maybe Sri Lanka is a little bit of a different story, but I think that these teams are going to win matches. Those matches might not be against India, England, um, Australia, yeah, but yeah. they they will definitely be competitive. Um, I, of course, I think Australia is going to win that match. You know, I can't right. as much as my associate cricket heart. Um, <laughs> you know, Australia, like Afghanistan, have just recently left the associate fold, but they're still in my heart for that reason. I'd right. love to, right. to pick Afghanistan, but yeah, I, I think I'm with you. It's Australia, but mm-hmm. it will not be as straightforward as as a lot of people would expect it to be, I think. Agree. It could be a banana peel, you know? Yeah. Uh, no, team, uh, no team would dare take Afghanistan lightly in the upcoming World Cup. No. This is our no. feeling. So, exactly. You know, they, would, they would be very wary. Yeah? Yes. That's one thing. Now then, uh, next one, they're playing at Trent Bridge uh, against the West Indies. On the 6th of June. So who do you think will win? I think West Indies are going to put up a good show. But I don't think that that this West Indies team can beat this Australia team in those conditions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So the next one is uh, at the the Oval on the 9th of June. And that's against India. Marky Clash. Who do you think is going to win this one? Oh, that's a really good one. That's a really good question um, mm-hmm. because we've just watched a series between these two guys um, right. and in Indian conditions. Mm-hmm. So although India should be really amongst everybody's favorites for this tournament, mm-hmm. I think that's going to be a match to watch. Right. Um, and I think a lot is going to depend on the toss and the weather conditions mm-hmm. on the day. Mm-hmm. But for me, that's an India win. Right. Interesting. 
All right. Going forward. You um, can say which of the two teams you think is going to win that match. All right. So it's too close for me to call, but I'm going to, I'm going to give <laughs> it to you. That's cheating. When you're playing a prediction game, look, yeah. at least I said the conditions are going to come into play. The toss is going to be important. But I gave an answer. You have to give an answer. Right. So I, I do think India will come out on top here. Yes. Right. So, I mean, this is probably a... Uh, already a replay of one of the knockout matches as well is what I would think. But maybe I don't want to count my chickens already. So in this game, I'll give it to India, right? Yes. So next, going forward, they're uh, playing uh, again at the Bristol County Ground and they're playing Pakistan on the 12th of June. Who do you think will win this one? So I have such mixed feelings about the Pakistan that are going into this World Cup. Mm-hmm. And I am also very aware that that Pakistan is probably the most dangerous of all yes. Pakistan. When you are, when you have no idea what they're capable of, when you don't think that they're they're going to do that well, I think that's the Pakistan that you should always be wary of. Mm-hmm. But you know, with with Pakistan's current selections, I'm not happy with them. I don't think that they're necessarily the right ones to take into the tournament. Right. So for me, that's going to be an Australia win. Me too. I mean, yeah. this this is with me uh, with the partisan. Uh, I my favorite team when India is not playing is Pakistan. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I think this Australian team will will prove to be a bit too strong, considering yeah. it's only the fourth game, and probably it's not already Pakistan's fourth game. So yes, but towards the right. end of the group stages, Pakistan will come much more stronger. Stronger. Right. Yeah. The next match them. is. Oh, sorry. Uh, sorry to interrupt. So next no, match is fifteenth. Against uh, Sri Lanka at the Oval. Yeah, I don't think that there's any competition there. You know, I, I think that that's especially at a um, ground like the Oval. That's all Australia for me. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Then here's uh, Australia will play Bangladesh against uh, on 20th at Trent Bridge. What about this one? That's an Australia win. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree. Then I. At Lords, they play England, another market. Now it gets spicy. Mm-hmm. Now it gets interesting. Um, right. I I do think that in the ODI portion, mm-hmm. um, things are very different to the test portion. I don't think this Australia team can beat this England side. Right. If England do not make some classic mistakes, they will never take an Australia match lightly. Um, but, you know, you just... it. it Every World Cup requires a small element of luck. It requires mm-hmm. a small element of picking the right 11 for the day, um, right. the conditions of the day, the toss, et cetera, et cetera. But for me, that's that's an all-England win. I think England's bowling, look, it's Lords, and at Lords, bowling matters. England's mm-hmm. bowling is their weakest aspect in, in the three aspects of the game. Mm-hmm. You know, I think their fielding is excellent. Their batting is on a different level. Their bowling is a little bit weak. As right. things stand, they have not selected Jofra Archer, mm-hmm. um, but that's a, as things stand. I think he's he's going to go into the Pakistan series. He's probably going to have a good Pakistan series. And mm-hmm. I think we'll probably see him in the final 15 for the World Cup come, right. you know, two, three, four weeks from now. Mm-hmm. However... Yeah. I, I don't know if that's going to be enough for a bowling X factor. Uh, mm-hmm. Just Jofra Archer. He, the Australians are no um, 
stranger. Jeff Archer is no stranger to them. He's, you know, played Precisely. the big cash. That's yeah, exactly. So I don't know if that's going to be the bowler that would upend them, that would uproot Australia. So the only question is, is England's bowling strong enough? But I think their batting far outweighs Australia's. So for me, that's an England win. All right. Um, Then uh, they're playing New Zealand at Lords on the 29th of June. What about this one? So... If if you're giving me um, Trent Bolt and Tim Southey at Lords, mm-hmm. in most circumstances, I would bet on them. They yeah. are guys that can move the ball probably better than any other bowling partnership um, that, that exists today. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly successful in the right conditions. And Lords is bowling friendly. But I note that this is a day-night match. So we are probably not going to see the same type of movement that you would see at 1030 with, you know, some clouds hanging about, you know, a little bit of of mist, light British mist in the air or whatever. Mm -hmm. And this Australia side is probably stronger than this New Zealand side. But I don't think that New Zealand should be discounted. If there's enough for the ball to move then mm-hmm. I think Australia will find themselves in a shaky position. That's that potential 20 for four that we talked about, you know? Exactly, exactly. Um, right. If that happens, and that's a big if, because like the English conditions are such a gamble. I have heard everyone from Vaughn to, to everybody's moms talking about, you know, English roads, English like seamers, like everything as if England is black and white. And it's mm-hmm. really really not and things are rapidly changing about how batting and bowling in England works we're seeing bigger scores than ever before but we're also simultaneously saying more success for spinners than ever before right so right. big question what happens with conditions on the day if the conditions favor bowling then mm-hmm. I think that's when Australia will really be tested and it's possible that you see a New Zealand win right so you say New Zealand then I'm saying New Zealand but that involves me banking on Bowling friendly conditions on the day. I'm going to go with New Zealand as well. So the last match, league match at least, is on the 6th of July. And they play South Africa at Old Trafford. This is an afternoon start. And by the way, I'm sorry, uh, at large it's also an afternoon start. I forgot to tell you this. Yes, yeah, it's a day-nighter. Yeah. Yeah. So now against South Africa, afternoon at Old Trafford. Who do you think is going to win? So I think actually this is a really interesting um, match. Not a lot of people are talking about South Africa going in. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was South Africa, when I saw their squad announcements, I would have probably been just a teeny tiny bit different. Not a lot. I I would have picked Reza Hendricks and I would have played around with the batting lineup a little bit more than they decided to. Um, right. They ended up being a little bit safer than they they can afford to take a risk or two. They right. should believe in the core players that they have. I know it's difficult to do when Hashim Amla is, um, you know, having a tough time at the moment. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's a lot harder to believe in in the people that have been holding your squad together for a long time. But right. I think this South Africa side has mm-hmm. a pretty good chance of upending in Australia. I also think if there is ever a year that South Africa will not pull a South Africa, it mm. is under FAF's leadership. It is with a little bit of young blood. It's a good mix of, of young and seasoned. And right. for me, that mix of older, um, 
you know, guys who who know their stuff are good dressing room influences and are consistent on the field. And mm-hmm. then a couple of younger guys looking to make their mark. I don't mm-hmm. know. I have a feeling that South Africa could beat Australia at Old Trafford. Right. So I would say I'm also going to go with South Africa, actually. So, I mean, can you total up how many wins Australia will have at the end of the group yeah. stages then? I think I gave um, I said they'd lose South Africa, they'd lose New Zealand, and they'd lose England. Yeah, so, and India, I think. Oh, yeah, and India, you're right, four. Yes. So that means yes. five out of nine wins. Yes, so I have a similar prediction at this stage. But I think they may have one slippery peel of a match. Yes. It might be Pakistan, it might be West Indies, I don't know. Yeah. The rest might still go like this, but then whatever they may lose, they may lose to Pakistan. They may gain back by beating South Africa, for example. Or so for New me, exactly. exactly. So I would say they will they will win four matches. Uh, sorry, they'll win five matches and lose four. I think so, it's a good bet. Right. I think and given that, I would say they are very close to making the semi-finals. Yes. They might be the fourth team or the third team that makes the semi-final. Yeah. So uh, that's my prediction. They'll make the semi-final. The rest I don't know. I agree. You with agree you. with that? I agree right. with you. I think um I think you know two of the spots are very easy to allocate um and I think unless something incredibly shocking and surprising happens we mm-hmm. will see England and we will see India and then the other two there is a group of sides close enough where right. the thing dividing them is on the day whether that's match conditions whether that's toss whether that's I don't know maybe somebody a little bit left field, like Imad Vaseem taking three quick wickets or whatever. But I think that those those differences will happen on the day rather than on paper. Um, right. And for me, Australia is one of the stronger sides on paper, which gives them a better chance on the day as well, if you see what I mean to say. Um, mm. So I, I, w- I would put them at my number three, but they're, they're competing against other teams that are doing the same thing. They mm-hmm. are consistently playing well consistently playing well in different conditions and they might also have a little bit of tournament energy so i think if there is any rain it's going to make things very interesting it's going to leave it even more open than many of us already perceive it to be Mm -hmm. um and if net run rate comes into play then you know it could be the difference of how many runs you beat let's say afghanistan by Um, or the Bangladesh by on X day that is the difference between you and and South Africa qualifying exactly I think it might come down to the fourth team making uh, the semi-final might purely be based on uh, equal number of wins but better than that greater you know some some one of the other deciding factors well uh, before I look into the crystal ball uh, which is in front of me and then tell you my predictions um, for the Australian ODI team in this World Cup um, I would like to uh, also mention a couple of things here. Um, the main thing here is that during the past six months, if you look at the series results uh, that Australian ODI team has been a part of, um, they have only been improving. Right. So in November uh, last year, they played uh, a series at home uh, in Australian conditions against uh, South Africa, which they lost 2-1. And then in the beginning of the year, um, they come up. They came up against um, the formidable Indian team, uh, but they lost, you know, in a closely fought series. They lost it 2-1, uh, and then they visited India, uh, and they were at one point they were trailing, um, you know, 2-0, 2-1, and 
to come back and win strongly the, the last three games and then, you know, take the series uh, in the end uh, by 3-2. And then, of course, they went to the uh, Emirates um, uh, to play against Pakistan and they completely, uh, you know, um, um, sidelined the Pakistani cricket team there. I think they were... Uh, the the series was won by a margin of five to zero. So, that just goes to show that the Australian cricket team has been on the way up, and uh, they have probably been, you know, they've probably started to peak at the right time, and with the World Cup might well be the time, you know, when they come out uh, with all guns blazing and take uh, the opposition's um, down to the last ball, probably, or you know, even win games in a dominating fashion. Now, um, let's look at the, the matches that they have in store. Um, they start their uh, World Cup campaign um, on the 1st of June against Afghanistan. Uh, I'm going to say Australia is going to win this because Australia is much stronger than Afghanistan any day. The second match they play is on the 6th of June uh, at Trent Bridge uh, against West Indies. Um, I will say Australia is going to win this. Uh, the third match is a big one against India at the Oval on the 9th of June. Um, I'm going to give it to India this time um, because they are the number two team in Australia. I think they are the number five team right now in the ODI rankings. Uh, so I'm going to give it to India. The next match is between Australia and Pakistan. Um, Pakistan can be, you know, uh, they can be volatile. Uh, they can sometimes um, shock their opposition. Uh, position but uh, I'm gonna say Australia is gonna win this primarily based on the the last uh, that the previous series concluded in the Emirates where uh, Australia won by five to zero um, after that Australia play against Sri Lanka at the Oval um, I think Australia will be a bit too strong there uh, so I'm gonna give it to Australia to win that match and then they play against Bangladesh at the Trent Bridge on the 20th of June um, I will say Australia is going to win this as well. And then at Lords on the 25th of June, they play against the number one side in the world, which is England. Um, I cannot see Australia winning this, but so I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick to England here. Um, on the 29th of June, again at Lords, they play against uh, New Zealand. New Zealand are the number three team in the world right now in ODI rankings. So I'm going to give it to New Zealand. It's going to be a tough match, but I think New Zealand probably have uh, a better better uh, performing team right now. So I'm going to give it to New Zealand. Um, and the last one will be played, uh, last of the league games, um, will be played against uh, South Africa at Old Trafford, Manchester on the 6th of July. Um, Australia against South Africa. I'm going to say based on their current form, um, Australia is going to win this. So out of nine matches, uh, let me count this. Uh, so I have said, wow, six matches will be won by Australia. So it pretty much assures them of a spot uh, in the semi-finals, uh, according to my predictions. So yeah, good luck to Australia and uh, hope uh, they give their opposition a good fight and uh, show why they're no worthy defending champions having won the same trophy uh, five times, a record five times. So those are my predictions. That was a very, I think, comprehensive discussion. <laughs> right. So uh, let's go forward. Let's go on to the next section. 
let's look at some of the World Cup news. So yeah. one of the World Cup news that has come through is that Pant, Raidu and Saini have been named as the World Cup standbys by the India, uh, let's say BCCI. Uh, for the World Cup squad. So, you know, we know recently that uh, India announced the squad and Raidu and Pant were some of the most controversial or let's say they were really unlucky to miss out, right? But they have been named as the standbys really knowing that uh, they were really on the cusp of selection. What comes as a surprise to me is Saini. Uh, what do you think of this? Well, I, I love picking an uncapped player for, right. for something like a World Cup. Mm. Um I haven't seen enough of him to yeah. know whether it makes sense to believe in him. But I, I like that unpredictability because if I haven't seen enough of him, there's lots of other people who haven't seen enough of him too. And some of them will be batting against him. So <laughs> I think in the subcontinent, we like pace, don't we? Right. We think that pace is a pretty powerful thing and it, it can often be the little extra edge it's the Jaffa Archer question is a similar question isn't it is that pace going to be um and the variations that he can bring at least in the T20 format is that right. going to be enough to to topple another team unexpectedly maybe exactly. um I do think that this is some of the best Indian bowling that I've seen in my lifetime anyway well wow, um, right well, yeah it's well you know India they're it's look in the question of the subcontinent india has batsmen pakistan has bowlers mm-hmm. i don't think that that's true today Not um i mean yeah. i mean the batsman thing definitely is <laughs> <laughs> but but i don't think that's necessarily true i think that india has moved into a place where their bowling works as a unit their bowling is pretty consistent that doesn't mean that they work magic and i don't think that the this indian bowling unit is capable of some of the scores that we have seen historically from Pakistan bowling units, but that's history, right? right? right. We're not right. comparing them to Vaseem and Vakar. That's ridiculous. No, that's um, not right. That's not. No, right. it's not. It doesn't make yes. any sense. Um, but especially matched up with the batting that they have available to them, mm. if you've got a little bit of tight bowling, but you you know you know the other the opposition's also got batsmen that can put on 350 with ease, then that's a winning combo. So I'm not sure where Sani fits into that, um, right. but I like it as a decision. You know, it's a little bit gutsy. Right. You know, I mean, my my thing is that he 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 plays for RCB, that is captained by Virat Kohli, the India. Yeah, yeah of course, though. the uh, best domestic team in the world, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but actually, well, that's a little bit unfair considering what they've done in the last couple of matches. Well, only in the last couple of matches. Let's only not. the last couple. I'm really hoping that's a good preparation for the upcoming season because, yes. I mean, look, uh, somehow RCB is the place where fast bowlers go to die, you know, right? So yeah. it's either the pitch or the captaincy or a combination thereof. Yeah. But I mean, I don't want to go into that. It's a point of sure. pain. Wink, wink for me. But uh, <laughs> anywho... Um, I think that that might have sort of uh, had some say in the way uh, he was chosen as one of the standbys, right? Um, so that was an interesting piece of news. But uh, some other not so interesting piece of news: Sri Lankan squad has been selected, and we see a couple of surprises, a couple of left field picks. So what yeah. we see is that, well, first of all, we expected that Timut Karunaratna would be leading the squad. That's indeed the case. But then you have a couple of left field picks in as much that. Uh, Avishka Fernando, the not-so-successful but very young opener, has made it. Yeah. You have Lahiru Tirimanna, who's more of a test-match opener and a crony of Demutkarana, yes. if I may use that term. He's made it to the squad. Then you have uh, the regular keeper, Dikwella, missing out. Shocking. You have 
yeah akhila dhananjaya who's come back with a remodeled action missing out uh, in the main spinner slot instead you have jeffrey fanderse which is fine but then again another thing that sort of uh, sticks up as a sore thumb is that upul taranga has been left out right? yeah so this is this is well it is a balanced squad if you look at it in in as much as the squad has been picked it seems very balanced but some left field picks like you know jivan mendes has been picked uh, he's a leg spinning all rounder who bats in the middle order right mm. he's been picked and dhananjaya de silva who's already in the squad who's sort of a maxwell uh, in sri lankan clothing yeah, he's been sort of punted as a better off spinner than akila dhananjaya because akila dhananjaya had to remold his action after some complaints after his comeback they say his numbers are as, are not as you know impressive so to say uh, that that comes well, out playing yeah. against england will do that to you you know <laughs> well it, yeah. it's it's true they're they're very successful batsmen um it was i i think i said to you off air that i got bored of that odi series because it was just so one sided that it, it it was painful to watch so you know it's it's not i don't like the numbers picking thing um it makes sense as a part of right. your decision making process mm-hmm. but to me you have to know you know people are having the same debate about Mohammad Amir what about his numbers compared to somebody else's numbers you have to either know or you don't know if you're choosing between two players that you have a very similar gut feel or knowledge about then mm-hmm. maybe the numbers can edge things out maybe the conditions can edge things out but i think that you should know whether or not Dhananjaya is 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 amongst your top pick bowlers that was surprising for me Um, exactly the most surprising was was Dick Waller well i mean what are they doing how do you not it pick this guy it doesn't make sense as yes. a attacking batsman as a consistent keeper um you know i'm i'm not saying that he's the best in the world or anything like that but mm-hmm. going into a world cup you want things to be settled you don't right. want to be picking like four new people um you know that have never played before or or are not consistently part of the the squad i mean even karuna ratna hasn't played what in four years odi exactly. cricket exactly um, no i think he's been picked on the back of his uh, astounding 2-0 victory over south africa in tests yes people that led the team but i mean and he, he let's say he's good against seeming uh, bowling so which is what you would expect in england all this is good and sure. maybe his record in england as a test match batsman is not bad all agree right but how how do you and okay you bring him back in the team and maybe you want to give him the captaincy for some continuity reasons and so on and so on fine how do you how do you continue to retain uh, tirimanna about taranga because this guy has been given i don't know how many thousand opportunities and has kept failing in all formats he somehow still retains his position ahead of a slightly more seasoned taranga who's i think who himself has had a number of ins and outs in the team but i think re- of recent he's been a bit more consistent and he would bring you that that seniority in the leadership group and i don't know if there is some petty politics going on where uh, somebody like karuna ratna has a say in the team selection because now he's a skipper and he's probably chosen tirimanna uh, about taranga because maybe he gets on better with this guy I, i don't know i don't know what to think of it but it's it's, it's a bit of a really left field pick and uh, i don't know and also i think they had this uh, provincial four day tournament uh, sorry four team tournament right for which i think malinga flew down from mumbai once he played in mumbai uh, in the in yeah. the night went down to yeah. sri lanka in the morning played in yeah. that match and came back and whatever right so with this 
I think um, with that, they, they, they have put a lot of uh, onus on the results of that four-team tournament. So I think Jeevan Mendes, they say, got picked because he did really well in that tournament. And he's been sort of playing his trade as a T20 specialist all over the world, right? He has, yes. So they want his, they want his um, experience and his all-round abilities. So because they don't have a very strong spring contingent, they want him in the uh, 15th so that the captain has a choice of including him at any time. Like somebody like Dhananjaya De Silva, to partner somebody like him, you can have Jeevan Mendes. But it's sort of these three or four things are really not very uh, they have enough keepers look you have kusal mendes and uh, you also have you know uh, kusal Pereira. they both are keepers so there are two keepers who are more or less starting in your 11 so one of them will keep is not a problem so you don't miss dikwala the keeper but you i think you miss dikwala the opener right the batsman yeah absolutely yeah it's a bit weird uh, any anything to add to this well, also, you know who I really, really, really like from this squad, and this is maybe the only positive thing that I have to say about this situation. Um, uh, it's Usuru Odana. I think Odana is a great limited over, and obviously he's shown that more in T20 than anything else. But I think he's a good limited overs option. He's good at the death. Um, he's a cheeky little batsman as well. You know, he he's one of those batsmen that's a little bit fearless. So mm-hmm. I like him as an all-round option. Obviously, right. he's he's much more a bowling all-rounder, but I think that he might take some surprising wickets, um, right. particularly if they make the choice to to give him a couple of oper, o- opening overs as well as at the depth. Um, I don't know. So I, th- I think he could be fun to watch, if not much else. Right. So I think he's just leapfrogged uh, uh, Tisara Pereira as the most, uh, let's say, effective all-rounder in Sri Lankan yes. limited overs cricket at this point in yeah. time because of his performances over the last two seasons, series or so. So I think he takes his place uh, rightly. Only thing is, of course, again, you can discuss about uh, how Milinda Sirivardhana made ahead, uh, made the team ahead of somebody like Akhila Dhananjaya, but that's going into the detail. So I think we've thrashed this dead horse quite a lot, but uh, we'll have to really see if they have made themselves, uh, you know, any have, have they really done themselves any favors or if they have really made fools out of themselves with the selection when the World Cup really begins. Uh, In all knows? honesty, I, I don't think the results would have been much different no matter what team they went with, if you see what I mean to say. And I know that sounds um, maybe dismissive mm-hmm. of Sri Lanka's current situation. I do not mean it to be. I just think that there is a little bit of a gulf between the teams up top and the teams that have not been consistently doing so well recently. Agreed. You know, if if you were to look at it that way, they might very well be preparing for a uh, next World Cup squad or, you know, a World uh, yeah. ODI squad Which for the next two years. Which is a approach to take as well. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So then sort of it makes sense. Only with the short uh, short term in mind, maybe it doesn't make too much sense. But in the longer picture, maybe they have some good points there. So Ideas that, in mind. I think that's how we have to take it. Right. So the other team that was also announced between the two episodes was Pakistan. So I think uh, we got 14 out of the 15 right with this Pakistan team. I think, uh, you know, Abid Ali has made in and Usman Shinwari, our pick has missed out. So instead they have gone for the raw pace of Mohammed Hasnain. I yeah, I, I think that's a terrible decision, um, ah, to be honest. I see, I see. Um, I don't know how much you watched the PSL. Um, I watched some of it, yeah. I thought Hasnan was good, but to be, I will purposefully be a little bit dismissive now. He's about 12 years old and he's played <laughs> three matches. And that is amazing. That is great. 
Um, it's not the same as a Jofra Archer X Factor because Jofra Archer has been playing cricket consistently for a very long time. Now, that might not involve England caps, obviously, or West Indies caps because of his situation. But he has played, you know, IPL, Big Bash, county English county cricket. And this is top level stuff. Um, sometimes it annoys me when people say, oh, but there's a huge gulf between international cricket and, and um, these domestic competitions. Well, sometimes maybe mm-hmm. when RCB or Lahore Calendars are playing, maybe, but right. um, not all the time. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're seeing some of the best players from all over the world ply their trade or some historically good players like a Chris Gale just having a, a, a one of their days. And I think that that builds resilience, that gives you exposure, that gives you experience. But it's one PSL. It's a handful of matches. Now, okay. I think Shinwari also has his limitations. I, To be honest, I'm not going to sing the praises of anybody that's in this World Cup squad, in all honesty. I, I just don't think for me. It's only a couple of people that are good enough. Um, mm, otherwise, mm. there is a current wealth, a current breadth of um, um, of T20 talent, but right. not so much in ODIs. So mm. I'm not hugely impressed by Shinwari. Shinwari can take four wickets today and he mm-hmm. can give 95 runs away tomorrow. Um, and there's no in-between for him. He, okay. he will either change a match entirely and prevent the other team from getting into it, Mm-hmm. Or you will very much assist them in their endeavor of winning. Um, right. That is probably, in my personal opinion, he's better suited to T20s. I don't think he has enough of a thinking brain for, for 50 over cricket. That's no, my perspective. It's my perspective. It's fine. I agree with you. He also hits 150. So does Mohamed Hasnain. But I would have yeah, back. You know what? Vasim Akram didn't bowl 150. So I every time. It. When they were not recording it yet. But maybe, maybe. I don't know. I, I think that we put a lot of stock in pace. And Dale Stain is not Dale Stain because he's fast. It is one of the components that makes him Dale Stain, you know? Um, and Shoibachter was not simply Shoibachter. Brettley was not simply Brettley because of speed. There were other skills involved. I think sometimes we put too much on on speed alone. So yeah, I think people people get impressed by Hasnain and Shinwari's speed. I would have gone for Shinwari over Hasnain. Personally, right. I think the only reason that Hasnain is in the squad is to give Mohammed Amir a kick up the backside. Um, and tell him you better perform in England. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're happy to go with a 12-year-old instead of you. I think, I think right. he's just there as a threatening measure. Ah, um, that's my personal assessment of the situation. I have no idea why you would take a child who has never played <laughs> cricket so he's, into, he's a into a World Cup. You know, he's a placeholder. You're saying he's a so placeholder. Setup favorite, uh, Mohammad Amir might still make it in. I, I think it would be crazy not to put Amir in. And we all know when it comes back to the stat thing, we all know that Amir has not been successful. He hasn't taken wickets in, in God knows how long. I think the answer is in the last um, 12 or 13 matches that he's played, he hasn't okay. taken wickets. Okay. Um, however, Imad Vaseem, despite failing a fitness test, also having an injury and not having taken wickets in 25 matches with a much higher run rate than Amir's ah. is included. Right. So... Okay. Uh, <laughs> To me, like the, the selection criteria are, um, they're, they're intangible criterion. 
You know, you can't say that Amir's lack of wickets is why we've included a guy that's never played cricket before, you know, or Amir's lack of wickets. What has Mohammed Hassan proved that Amir has not proved? So for me, it's in England. If there is assistance on offer through conditions and through the pitch, if Mohammed Amir can't find it, then none of these other guys will. I think you're right. Because also, I think it very well might be that Hassan is a placeholder. Yeah. And uh, Mohammad Amir will take his place in the 15, final 15, for example. And look, Amir still had a very reasonable, uh, you know, run rate, uh, 4.58 or some such. Wickets really matter, but they're not everything. Sometimes if you're strangling from your end, you're assisting the other end pick up wickets. And I would, I would like Shinwari, excuse me, I would like Shaheen Shah Afridi, who's also a baby, but a baby who's proven something. And a baby with a lot of raw talent. You know, I think if Vagar Yunus thinks that you're going to be special, then I will yes. defer to Vagar's knowledge there. Um, clearly, but, you know, Shaheen Shah Afridi from one end and Mohammed Amir from the other end strangled for runs and wickets and movement with a new ball. I don't think it's a bad idea. Um, I also think this is this is coming from a little bit of bias, maybe, but mm-hmm. I am, um, my county is Essex. Right, and on right. plays T20 for Essex, right? Aha. Uh-huh. Has yes, he has I done see. that very successfully. Um, he was instrumental in the matches that he played for Essex mm-hmm. in, in wicket taking, in strangling the opposition, and it also means that he has much more experience of these conditions than some of the other players do. If you have to turn a English ground into your second home for a period of six weeks, five weeks, whatever, then, Mm -hmm. you know, it it changes the equation a little bit. And I think that has to come into the selection criteria. I personally honestly just think that this is this is for appearances as much Mm. as anything else, you know? Right, right. Well, you might be right. You know, you might absolutely be right that, look, with the amount of experience Amir brings playing in English conditions, it would not be the best thing to leave him out. I think he'll make the 15 in the end. So uh, if at all, I felt the only person who was a bit unlucky to not make the squad was uh, Mohammad Rizwan, the keeper, the backup keeper who could also bat in number four or five or whatever, because Hafiz's place is not yet confirmed, right? He's still also recovering from an injury. He's recovering from an injury, but it is my understanding that he's there now. He's there. Um, I I think he's maybe a week away from being signed off, a week to 10 days away from being signed off officially as as being okay to Ah. play. Um, I also think that, you know, again, it has to be what is your goal? Is your goal to build a team that will be good in the next World Cup? And how many years can that be your goal rather than to tackle the World Cup in front of you? If the goal is the World Cup in front of you, I think Hafiz matters. Of course. I think he's also coming to the end of a long career. Yes. Maybe he really yeah. doesn't fit in in the bigger picture, but for the next few months, he's your guy. I agree. Yeah. And he yeah. finishes matches. So we've gone into he depth finishes. with this. We've gone into quite a depth with this also previously. And I think I agree he should be there. You know, the more difficult question was uh, Shoaib Malik, but I don't want to go into that. That will take another half an hour, I think. because I It will. Thoughts. We right? might be in the same um, opinion camp there. Right, right. All right. Moving on. Um, Afghanistan also have announced their squad. Again, a couple of real left field picks here, because uh, Hamid Hassan has made a comeback. I don't know. Yes, I don't know interesting. What grounds? I mean, he's not played a, a really. A, I was looking up his profile on Quick Info. He's not played any match that has been recorded 
on quick info since 2017 december he has had recurrent back injuries right. and in all honesty i thought they were career ending back injuries awesome. i thought he wasn't going to play again Mm-hmm. Um, he is, of course, historically one of their most successful bowlers. Okay. So maybe he feels ready. Maybe they believe in that. Mm-hmm. I, I think Afghanistan is, look, there's some interesting things going on behind the scenes there um, mm-hmm. with captaincy movements. Exactly. With, um, yeah. And so there's there's board stuff happening there. So that might be one of the reasons why, in all honesty. Why, why do you have any other information on why Askar Afghan was de- demoted or removed from captaincy? Because to the rest of us, it doesn't make any more sense there. Why Nothing would you that I can talk about? Um, oh, all right. Yeah, I know it's a shame. That's okay. I don't think it. I yeah. don't. I don't think it's a good idea. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's he's probably made somebody mad. Is is I think the reality of it. Um, oh. The World Cup is not the time that you start grooming other people. I believe in Gulbuddin Neb. I think he's a very good bowler, mm-hmm. very good uh, limited overs bowler. Right. Um, I don't know exactly what his qualifications or his pedigree for captaincy are. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think he captained his Afghanistan Premier League side bulk legends. I don't think, I think he was there. I think he has some yes. captaincy experience in this uh, first class setup. He does, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, But you know, it's it's not quite the same as the international spectrum, uh, and I think it's an embarrassing thing to do at this point in time. And I mean, you've probably seen some of the players' reactions to it. Clearly, the dressing room is mixed as well. Right. I mean, you you don't want to put your two most uh, let's say strong players, you know, yeah, um, Rashid Khan and uh, Mohammad Nabi. who have very yeah. clearly said they are not happy with this but i mean yeah. as you say he's made somebody mad in the board something else is going yeah. on in the background something's oh, happening yeah right only thing is that well when it comes to hamid hasan it looks like he's been on the radar for a while because in february he got picked in the t20 squad as well but he didn't get a game right yeah. so maybe it's i think we are reading too much into his sudden inclusion maybe he's already been on the radar for a couple of maybe months. it's been in the works right? yeah right So, but I think that headband wearing Hamid Hasan would be a really nice addition to this Afghanistan squad. Yeah, right? he's an entertaining bowler for sure. Right. So that that that's I think a good thing. Only the captaincy change was a bit of a strange thing, but well, those things happen, right? All right. Going further, um, I think we can quickly go into some other news, which are you know news that are not related to World Cup but still cricket related. So the first thing I would like to go into is well, uh, BCCI ombudsman. Uh, justice pk jain retired justice has summoned ganguly sorrow ganguly for a hearing over his conflict of interest case uh, yes. so this was yesterday uh, and uh, i think bcci the setup is trying to back ganguly here this is this is an interesting case because uh, what bcci feels is that i mean if you look at the laws it's a tractable conflict issue apparently yeah and tractable conflict or tractable ca- tractable category issue i'm sorry can be sorted out through some uh, full disclosure apparently yeah so they said uh, we don't we don't really mind that you know there may be a little bit of a conflict but this is one of those things that can be open openly aired out and fixed yeah it comes as a bit of crossed uh, cross whatever uh, it's a bit weird for me because why would an ombudsman uh, ask you to come in and subpoena or whatever it's not probably a subpoena but just a you know a hearing but then yeah. why not sort it out internally why not the same bcci who said 
he can be supported or he can be uh, through tra- you know full uh, yeah full yeah. disclosure you can fix it that could have been sorted out there what's the point in bringing him and then the uh, setup backing him i don't quite get that do, do you do you have any more idea on how this works maybe in your law thing background sometimes it is good to look like you are making things more accountable than right. they are perceived to be you know so i i think this is a board maneuver um i don't know whether there's something going on behind the scenes that we're not aware of maybe it's like a little bit of a control thing but personally i would guess that it's more about um making it look like the bcci on ombudsman is doing his job you know right well i mean he is doing his job but then it looks like this old setup the old setup which was sidelined yes. with the supreme court appointing a you know coa to yeah. take over i think it's the ganguly is a favorite of the old setup and the coa uh, has the ombudsman who's accountable yeah. to them exactly. so it might be something like that because uh, what i read is that uh, there was a 3 and 1/2 hour uh, hearing yes. between the ombudsman the complainant and somebody who represented ganguly and ganguly right so they have tried to sort this out so maybe it's more like yes they are actually it's a little bit more than uh, constitutional questions exactly it's probably a bit more than paying lip service but at the end it might come down to that i, I think i might be a bit you know half uh, glass half full sort of a guy so we will see how this <laughs> pans out right now going on with boards the next important news is that there has been some trouble brewing in the pcb so there we is. yeah five five members of the directors of uh, uh, dogs so it's the, i think they are, they are the, uh, the the dogs were the governor of the board so yeah the, the board of them have pulled yeah. out so they have brought a new uh, in the meeting that was supposed to happen the board of governors meeting that was supposed to happen they have tabled a new uh, resolution thing, resolution saying that you know five of them don't uh, like or don't back don't endorse wasim khan as the md and because they say the md post itself is unconstitutional as per pcb's constitution and so on and so forth yeah. it's, it's a bit weird again the considering that they themselves had said that you can appoint an md uh, any do you know what's going on again from your legal background here <laughs> look i think that this is an internal board of governors question because it's a it's something that they approved a few months earlier themselves right. and now they're second guessing it um I think that there's probably some discontent between um Esan Mani and some of the board of governors. Right. Um but I think it's something that they're going to resolve because they will be forced to resolve it. They right. their resolution has a list of demands that mm. they want the board of governors to adopt. Mm. Um and only one of those is is the appointment of of uh Wasim Khan. I right. think it is something that people might not see from the outside because of course Vasim Khan is of Pakistani background but he's mm. British right he's right. an outsider mm. so I think some of that is the natural um uh not fearfulness but nobody really likes an outsider which is a shame but mm. when you have a setup like a board of governors you presume that they all have ideas as to who might be able to do the job better Um I would wonder how much of that is some of the stuff that we're seeing come out about Leicestershire. Um right. right. How much of that matters to the board mm. of governors? I think maybe some. I think more than anything it's probably just a little bit of a power play, maybe some personal personal ideas as to who should have been appointed. They might have said yes to making the position available. Mm. 
but maybe they said yes with <laughs> different ideas of who that position should go to if you see what i mean yes i, th- I think i know what you're leading towards but yeah i mean i know sometimes these things can happen in south asian boards uh, yes there's a large amount of inertial uh, let's say power yeah that will be still you know that still remains even though boards change and people change and so on but okay let's really hope this 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 thing is sorted out also it might be a fight back against uh, you know imran khan's idea that regions uh, should have yes. teams and these departments should not involve themselves maybe it's something to do with that but one way or the other it seems a bit weird for me uh, the other news that has come up is one more update on this noman but who was from sialkot has since been fired from the board of governors interesting he, he's he's raised this matter in a legal issue with the lahore high court since very so, interesting so i think it's it's going to get a bit more uh, knotted i see before yeah anything else i mean do you have any more update on this no um so i i think he supposedly violated the constitution himself so he's he's been accused of misconduct um and i i think that it's been referred to an independent adjudicator mm-hmm. so and it will be resolved in accordance with the the board of governors the pcb's constitution mm. so you know I, I, again it, to me it seems like infighting more than anything else it has been um happening for some time and i think it will continue to happen and i think that you're right it's a little bit of a pushback against the vision for the PCB and the way that it should concern itself within the the depart the different affairs of 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 the countries um mm. set up both domestically and internationally right well i mean uh, let's hope they resolve this as soon as possible you don't want this to be the focus in a with a world cup coming world up cup in a month coming up. Right? yeah absolutely all right so uh, a couple of small things to round us out for today one is that well pandya and rahul who made some let's say inappropriate comments sexist and inappropriate comments on the show coffee with karan uh, have had meetings with the ombudsman whom we mm. previously talked and they have been fined 2 million rupees each yes right and uh, the time that they lost out of the team has been marked out as the matches they would have been banned for so to say yeah and uh, now they can move on with their careers they both are in the world cup squad and i think it's been sort of settled in time so that they can concentrate on their futures right yes so i think i think that's a good thing it's 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 more than a slap on the wrist 2 million rupees so that's good and also i think they have learned their lessons uh, in a much harder way because they are public figures and uh, the amount of public outcry that ensued and i think they have learned their lesson is what i would like to think right they both young probably feel quite differently about it interesting interesting um, go on the reason being is that they they made some inappropriate comments i'm not going to say that their comments were not inappropriate they were sexist they were disappointing and they are not of the indian culture that you want to be building right now they're from mm-hmm. their comments from a time that we would had hoped had passed um and there have been so many high profile sexism rape harassment you know the whole gamut of of offenses within that that spectrum there have been a range of those in in indian you know like modern culture in mm-hmm. the last 10 years right. so i think it's a very important issue to tackle i do not think that that issue begins with and ends with kl rahul and hardik pandya um i find the way that the bcci handled this 
to yeah. what concerns me about it is I think that they will make the issue begin and end with Pandya and Rahul. Um, I agree with you that, yes, they deserve to be fined. They they missed matches at the time. And those yeah. matches are it's, it's fair to count those matches as, as time away from the game. I agree with all of that. There's one thing that I didn't like about the, the news, and that is that payment should be made to a charity, um, right. a cricket, cricket association for the blind. Now, mm. honestly, no disrespect to, to visually impaired cricketers who I absolutely, totally respect. But that's not the issue. They did not make comments about about disability cricket. They did not make comments about visually impaired people. They made comments about women. So mm, if that mm, money mm. goes anywhere, um, that's not, I think, the place for it to go. That's That's not accountability for the issue at hand. And I'm not trying to take money away from visually impaired cricketers. That's the last thing that I want. But this fine should be going to a very different type of fund. Um, right. Those funds should exist. And it potentially they should be used to strengthen, you know, the women's game or, um, you know, measures that should be taken within both the men's and the women's game, a game in terms of sexual harassment, rape, um, you know, sexism in the workplace, all of those different types of things. So right. the fact that they put the money totally in the wrong place says to me that this is something that is a little bit visual. It's a little bit on show. For, mm. And it might be more than a slap on the wrist financially, but where is the genuine accountability? Why are we not asking the question of... And to me, Pandya and Rahul are not the problem. First of all, KL Rahul barely said anything in the interview anyway. Mm. Um, I have never, ever, ever wanted to watch Coffee with Karan. It, I think it's a terrible show. Um, <laughs> Karan Johar is a personality that I ugh, can't stand him. Absolutely cannot stand him. I watched that show about three times because those mm -hmm. comments are important. And they're not just coming in, in the episode they came from Pandya. Yes. But he is not alone in these comments. Some people just don't say them on Coffee with Garen. That's the only thing. These comments are normal or normalized. They mm. are common. And they are something that women in the sport face a lot of. Um, so to me, I would have been a lot happier if the BCCI handled their own issue well mm. and properly. They right. utterly and totally and completely failed to do that. So I think that slapping these young men who are totally accountable, they're not children, but they're far less accountable for me than, than the COA should be, than the BCCI's chairman should be, than the structure, the boards, the, the people with power and the means to change things should be. Um, right. So for uh, me personally, it's a shame that, that the energy and attention has been shunted in the wrong direction. And this is mm -hmm. not to, to absolve uh, Pandya of what he was saying or Rahul of what he was saying. It's just to say that that should not be our main energy focus. And what I find disappointing is I think that this will now be done and dusted. So we will not ask the question, why do these boys say that things think that saying these type of things is a good thing? Why do they think that these are acceptable comments? What is wrong with our culture and our culture? This is not limited to South Asian culture. I mean this in a global aspect. This right. happens everywhere. What mm -hmm. is what are we doing wrong as a society that this is the place that we're in in terms of women's rights or, or treating women like more than sexual objects, um, particularly by people who have 
you know, importance in the media that have children following them. Hardik Pandya is such a competitor that I cannot even imagine the amount of four, eight, 12, 18 year olds that look at him and think one day, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, So so I think we need to ask much bigger, broader and deeper questions than a financial fine. But those questions are really difficult because they're not questions to be put to Rahul and Pandya. You can't Mm -hmm. sit them down and say, buddy, why do you think this is an appropriate thing to say that? It will give you an insight into our culture. Um, But that insight and those questions should be looked at a lot more broadly and with a lot more seriousness than we give the issue. Right. Well, I mean, I agree with you that way. What I would have really liked, I don't I don't really mind the way the fine was dispersed. It would have helped if it had gone into a women's cricket cause. That would have shown yeah. one thing. The other thing is that uh, if there were to also be asked to attend a counselling session or some yes. sort of a re-education session, yes. being a public thing that was announced that they are required to do it, would have sent the right sort of a message as well. Agreed. You know, this is how, you know, in a workplace sort of a situation where yes. such a thing ever were to uh, surface, right, would That's actually be shown, right? So I think it would have made a lot of sense if they were also forced to have participated in a proper, uh, let's say, um, reintegration is probably not the word I am looking for, uh, reorientation training. course. Right? Training. Training. Yeah, sexual harassment training, gender equality training, you know. Just a couple of um, just to show that it's a serious it's an issue that we take seriously. It's um, I don't know if you're aware, but New Zealand were the first um, cricket board to add consent training to their Agreed. player handbooks. I saw this. So, I saw this recently. Yeah, yes. I think that's, that's a, a welcome addition. Yeah, absolutely. It's a good step. It's important stuff to discuss. We should be thinking about and discussing a lot of these things at school. But obviously, there are a lot of cultural boundaries that we haven't crossed, even in Western countries like England, New Zealand, Australia, South Africa, whatever. You know, the things are different in Pakistan, India, et cetera, et cetera. But even in the West, that is, they were the first board to do that. It's a welcome addition. It's very important. The buck doesn't stop there, as we know with some of um, New Zealand's recent problems. But it's a good first step. And in countries like Pakistan and India, we're not talking about consent in schools. Um, you know, Pandya has probably never heard. I mean, he was making comments about his parents having pride in in the amount of girls that he sleeps with or allegedly sleeps with or whatever. Um, and, and these comments are much broader than one cricketer, two cricketer, three cricketers. They are society-wide issues. So... Right. I think that there is responsibility in the cricketing world to take steps towards changing those issues. They can't be responsible for everything, but that is how I would have preferred the situation to be handled. I probably have a lot less hatred for for these two boys than than some people do, but that's because I will I will look at the issue and see that this is a broader social issue that we have. They are just saying the same things as every other guy in society is. The difference is they have a platform for some of those things that Mm, other people mm, do mm. not. So we need to look at the issue socially as a culture and think, especially in a country like India, where the female cricket team is the envy of the rest of the world, you know? Um, So I would like to see the Indian women's cricket team treated by India, Indians, and by the BCC. 
eye with the same respect as as you know like female cricketers in the rest of the world look at them at with agreed agreed you know I, you got a lot of very good points there i agree with all of them actually and only couple of things to mention well it's time india started a women's ipl this is one point yeah right? absolutely it's happening and, and the other one i would say is that hopefully um, you know this uh, whatever uh, trainings that these both could have uh, done i hope every cricketer who crosses a certain rubicon either at the first yes. class level or india level uh, he's made he and she even if required is always made to go through those trainings as a mandatory thing we Absolutely. already don't know that they are not if they are not i am really hoping bcci and the boards in that region they learn Take that steps. yeah they are already given such a training uh, from the get go right then probably some of these problems can be avoided at the root root mm. right all right going forward just a couple of small things to finish off so one is um, just breaking news just a couple of hours ago we've uh, come to know that Uh, the IPL final, the IPL 2019 final, has been taken away from uh, Chennai because of some stands not being ready, and it's been given to Hyderabad. This is one quick update I have, and the other one is sort of a not very nice news. So Asif Ali, who's uh, represented Pakistan in one day, one dayers I think, and T20s, his daughter is very ill and she's uh, fighting cancer. So they're taking her to USA uh, for treatment, yeah. and our prayers are with him and his family. and i really yeah. hope the little one recovers as soon as possible right okay all right then uh, that brings to close all the let's say the agenda the planned uh, topics so uh, all that remains as well the trivia question so the trivia question for this week is uh, which captain has the best win loss percentage ratio in cricket world cups so the cut off is 10 matches minimum right okay uh we always say the question is always relevant to the team we discuss in a given yes. episode so we may have even mentioned this name i think we did right so i think you know the answer right so let's hope all our listeners who've been also paying attention know the answers and they tweet in so the way you can get in touch with us is on twitter our um, handle is at armchair cricket pod we have a facebook page and uh, also you can write in to us at armchairdoctorcricket@gmail.com right and whichever platform you subscribe to us spotify apple podcasts or podbean or castbox any of those you can leave a comment for us out there with your answer and we'll include you in the upcoming podcasts also if you have any ideas uh, leave us your comments leave us a rating as always please subscribe so it will help us and try to popularize our podcast among your cricket speaking friends or cricket interest friends right that's about it from this episode so i would like to say thank you thanks a lot tasneem it's been a wonderful conversation the time has passed and i have not even realized how long we've spoken it has been a very <laughs> nice really nice conversation with you and i really hope you can come back uh, to That our podcast at some point in time and give us some more of your very nice views and knowledge right share thank your knowledge you. with us thanks a lot thank you for having me all right uh, do you want to plug anything your uh, blog your work with Kerala Cricket anything you want to plug well Kerala Cricket are doing some great IPL coverage at the moment so if you don't want to listen to the tv commentary and you want to listen to some interesting funny and always entertaining cricket commentary instead listen to Kerala Cricket's IPL coverage which is is happening for most of the, the well all the playoff matches um now 
Uh, and we have some announcements coming up that you would want to stay tuned for. Um, we're at at Gorilla Cricket um, on Twitter, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and that's about it. And, and follow Gorilla Cricket's World Cup coverage. It's a home World Cup. So we will be there every single match. And do listen in with us. Perfect. Thanks a lot. And we are big supporters of Guerrilla Cricket on the show. And we would also request all our supporters and listeners to please tune into Guerrilla Cricket. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. And it's like your your mates are giving commentary. It's not like, uh, you know, people who have high opinions or some such. It's really accessible. They have nice jingles. The, the, the cast is really, really lovely and very likable. You'll fall in love with them within the first 10 minutes. I can assure you of this. Right? All right, guys. All right. All right. Thanks a lot, Tasneem. So having said all that, it's a goodbye from me. Bye. And it's a goodbye from them both. Bye-bye. You're listening to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.